please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, you can follow us on Reddit, uh, blankies.reddit.com. Uh, big thanks to Ange Perguto for our social media, uh, Pat Reynolds and Joe Bowen for our artwork, Lane Montgomery for the uh, theme song. Uh, and as always, podcast. He did it back. He's doing it backwards. You get it because of the movie. He's that's the thing we do at the end. I'm explaining to our guests your stupid bit. Oh, we can you can follow us on Twitter <laughs> at Blank Check Pod or check us out on Facebook. Please welcome everyone. Oh, hi everybody. Uh, let me just shake this Polaroid quickly. My name is Griffin Newman. <laughs> I'm David Sims. This is a podcast called Blank Check with Griffin and David. Mm-hmm. Uh, we follow filmographies, directors who had massive success early on in their careers, and then were given a series of blank checks to make whatever wild cinematic follies they wanted. And sometimes the checks clear, and sometimes they bounce, baby. Uh, and we're connoisseurs of context. We like looking at the larger picture of how the film got made, what it means in the larger arc of the person's career, and how the film was received at the time and how it's held up today. When did you add that connoisseurs of context thing? I feel like you're doing that now. I, it's, I said a couple times, and then like uh, Ben, uh, a.k.a. producer Ben, a.k.a. the Ben Deucer, a.k.a. producer oh, Ben, a.k.a. Poet Laureate, a.k.a. The Hot. This is a terrible way to welcome our guests. A.k.a. The Tiebreaker. A.k.a. Our Finest Film Critic. A.k.a. The Meat Detective. A.k.a. The Meat Detective? I'm sorry. A.k.a. The Fart Lover. Okay, great. <laughs> a.k.a. The Fuck Master. He's not Professor Crispy. No. You can wish him a Hello Fennel. I'm not a temperature queen either. Right, good. We're, we're getting all the bits out of the way. He's graduated certain tells over the course of different maceries, such as producer Ben Kenobi, Kylo Ben. Ben say Ben Nichamalan, say Benny Thing. Ailey Ben's with the dollar sign and Warhaus. The fans love all this crap. Yeah, you, you can got, talk. You, you can gotta talk. believe. I can us. talk. Oh yeah, yeah. We like people to talk before we introduce them. <laughs> That's the last bit. Here's the cornerstone of this podcast: is that everything the fans love, David hates. Right, right. <laughs> including sometimes whole episodes they demand that we do, including entire co-hosts of this show. <laughs> <laughs> no, hi. sometimes. Hi, everybody. No, sometimes. You, anyway, That's anyway. a joke because we are, of course, hashtag the two friends. Right. We are two friends who host a podcast that's a competitive advantage that does not apply to any other podcast that's ever existed. Right. So we, you know, we trademarked that, we've hashtagged it, we're good. But uh, what we like to do in this podcast are miniseries. Uh-huh. Focusing Jesus, on direct. still in the intro. And this is a miniseries on the films of Christopher Nolan. Right. And this miniseries is called The Pod Night Cats. Apologies for the title. Yeah. Yeah. Got a tattoo on my thigh. Mm-hmm. Fact that six. That says, don't trust the pod night, and I'm trying to figure out who the pod night is. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, okay, and we have a guest. We have a guest today. Yes. Great guest. It's a very exciting guest who we're annoying with all this crap. She is a film critic for MTV. She's the host of the podcast, The Canon. Ladies and gentlemen, Amy Nicholson is here with us today. Hey, guys. I've just had my mouth open in quiet astonishment for the last three minutes. Hello. Christ. <laughs> at least he did it all. You just did it all at once. Yeah, well, get ready for the ending. Oh, boy. Um, uh, yeah, hi, Amy. Hey guys. Welcome. Amy's in New York. Amy's in New York from LA. Yeah, um, cross continental. We mm-hmm. flew you out here as we do with all of our guests. Right. You're very yeah. rich. Thank you for putting me up at the Carlson. <laughs> I'm a, a superhero. Um, I feel like uh, Tom Hanks and Joe versus the volcano. This has been a really magical week. Thank you. I feel like I can die happy now. Please, my pleasure. You know, it's honestly worth it to see the glint in your eye. Um, so, you know, I, of course, the blank check policy. We should is, do a John Patrick Shanley. Uh, miniseries. All two of them? Isn't that Joe vs. the Volcano? He did that, right? In doubt. Mm-hmm. Right. Did he direct a movie in between? Uh, let's find out. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I hate doubt. I think yeah. that's a bad yeah. movie. Let's do that miniseries. <laughs> what do you think of doubt? 
Uh, I think that every time Viola Davis lets her nose run, she gets nominated for an Oscar. Mm-hmm. That's a secret power. That's, that, that's when she discovered it in doubt, right? Mm-hmm. Where she was, she was like, let's 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 try the one run with nose running. Yeah, yeah. Everyone knows that you have to wipe waste not from your when it's running down your face. But what Viola Davis presupposes is maybe you well, don't. Maybe you don't. Uh, I I fucked that up. Um, Amy, you know, of course, we have a rule that everyone knows that uh, when we fly a guest out. From another city on our dime, as we always do, from our infinite pockets. Mm, could you upgrade me from business to first next time? Well, it's one or the other. Because <laughs> right now you had business, but you were allowed to bring one celebrity guest with you. As we know, when Fran Hoffner was on the show, she brought Ansel Elgort. <laughs> I don't not into the I studio. I remember this bit. Okay. Who was your celebrity plus one on the airplane? Um, who would you like to ride an airplane with in general? That's a good question. Like, who would chill you out in an airplane? That's true, because I'm going through a list of people I think would be interesting, and then people who I think would be nightmares to sit next to. Exactly. Like, who's most likely to talk about themselves the whole time? You don't want someone who's too funny or too, like, you know, into doing, like, a lot I of I couldn't bits. deal with Anthony Kiedis. You, you couldn't deal with Anthony Kiedis? <laughs> no, you think he'd wear a shirt a on? He wouldn't be wearing a shirt. It, it, he would just be going on and on about the Red Hot Chili Peppers and their I, new music. I, I, I have like, a sub-question, no and then we have to get to the movie, but I have a sub-question. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever seen anyone on a shirt with, on a plane with their shirt off? No. Like, in general, like a grown person. I think I've seen people with barely not a shirt sure, on, like, like, a, like on a the way to Vegas. Vest, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I've seen close to no shirt because it's like when you it's a mesh vest, when is the line between is that a shirt or not? Like it's how much fabric do you technically need? Or but. like Hawaiian shirt unbuttoned. That's another like almost shirtless look mm-hmm, where it's like mm-hmm. you're hanging out, you know? Yeah, it's like if you have a Hawaiian shirt with seven buttons and you only have <laughs> one button, are you wearing a shirt or not? Barely. Yeah, but if you unbutton the button, they're going to say you're not wearing a shirt. Correct. Right? It, 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 it's just the, this difference of an inch. Is, yeah, is that the move, too? When they're like, can you please put a shirt on? You just button one button very passive aggressively. See, I like when we get this philosophical because it really is. There's an inch that separates you between two different states of being. Really, it truly is just one, just one button. This is a, a shirtless movie. There's a this lot a of shirtlessness, shirtlessness male shirtlessness in this film. My answer would be Vin Diesel, by the way. I would sit with Vin Diesel on the plane. He's a man of few words. He wouldn't talk the whole time, but when he had something to say, whoo, boy. I don't usually like being negative, but the only thing I can think of is who I don't want to sit next to on a plane. I think that's sort of like your cheerful producer. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) don't say fantasy. I just went to a thing where I saw Jewel talk every day. Uh, Okay. And I went to this like Walmart film festival where Jewel was there. And I saw a great piece about it, by the way, which is worth worth reading. Well, I left out because it was a little mean, but I saw Jewel, like, first I saw Jewel uh, give a concert. And then I saw Jewel the next day, like, talk about mindfulness at a seminar. And then I saw Jewel on a panel about feminism in Hollywood. (laughs) And each day she gave the exact same speech. And then the the fourth time I saw her was at the award show and she gave the same speech again about her entire life. And I know her life story so well right now that it just becomes aggravating and I'm mad at her. And she's literally the last person I'd want to sit to next to on a plane because she would tell it to me again. I think she'd probably tell it to me twice. What's Jewel doing these days? Apart from apparently just starring as like the main centerpiece of a film festival. Does <laughs> she have an yeah. album? Uh, she's starting a website about mindfulness. She's like really right. getting into teaching kids how to meditate so that they can deal with the stresses of the modern world. All right. Well, that's a great answer to your question. Because she was course, married to a rodeo clown. She was? For like 10 years. She lived in her car. I did not know that. Did I she did. mention this? I knew that very well. <laughs> she did Hillary, she talk about the rodeo clown? It was like a Hillary Swank situation. <laughs> She did not talk about it. She left out all the interesting stuff. She really only talks about from like, she talks about the time she turned down a million dollar signing bonus, like nonstop. 
If you ever hear her talk, she'll talk about turning down a million dollar signing bonus. Like because it was like was too corporate or like it wasn't wasn't she didn't felt want to like, mess with her. Yeah, she was like, I was a homeless teenager living in a car with my mom. I didn't have health insurance. I almost died because I had problems with my organs and I went to a hospital and they wouldn't help me because no, she I had, had no problems with her organs. I forget which organ. I should remember if she told she said it enough times. Yeah. <laughs> she was shoplifting a lot. She was stealing clothes. She stopped shoplifting when she saw herself in the mirror wearing a sundress and thought she'd gone too far. Then she started playing music. Oh, God, now I'm running through a whole bunch of I'm it. so sorry. Yeah. But she became famous and local saying, this is not the Jewel podcast. Anyway, no, I just, I'm sorry. I just found out so much about Jewel. I just want to run it down real fast. Oh, fine. Okay, it's one, she dated now. Sean Penn. Did not know that. Ooh. In 95. Eee. So like really kind of trashy Sean Penn too. Like wow. really scary Wasn't Sean he Penn. Married at the, when did he marry Robin Wright? No, I feel like he marries Robin Wright like in the late uh, 96. Okay, whoa. Oh. Oh, yeah. He only dates blondes. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's true. Because then he was with Charlize and he dated Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, he's right? very particular. Isn't he dating Vincent D'Onofrio's daughter now? Is she blonde? No, she looks like Vincent No, I think she's got no dark way. hair. I refuse to believe that he's dating her unless she's like dyeing her hair. She, I, she is a blonde. Vincent D'Onofrio's daughter? Layla D'Onofrio. Okay, so, yeah. She's sort of a, a, a dirty blonde. You know, is like she a, a natural darker blonde? blonde? I, I, I don't have this information. I can tell. Do you have a picture? If she looks, my, I'm going to guess, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to show you a picture and you can make a decision. Here she is with Sean Penn. In fact, all right, here we go. Here we go. Here's a side by side of them. No, she's a dyed blonde. Looks like it, let right? Me, let me look one more time at no, the eyebrows. it looks like it. Because she's got, no, like, she's, yeah, not eyebrows blonde, she's barely yeah. a blonde. But, yeah. you know, she's fair haired, I suppose. I don't know. Uh, also, she uh, married a rodeo cowboy. I'm sorry for calling him a rodeo clown. Yeah, that might please. be rude. They were married for 10 years. Uh, and she is the cousin of Corianka Kilcher, who played Pocahontas I've heard in that the dispelled. New World. Really? I've heard her in interviews say that's not true, and people just made that up. Well, it's Wait, on Wikipedia. Wait, Jewel saying that, or the woman? Corianka. Oh, Corianka. Well, she's the daughter of Atz Kilcher, an Alaskan, and right. apparently Corianka is also, but maybe maybe it's all made up. Yeah, I don't know. And she's estranged from her mother. Oh, I didn't know Was she know accused that. of stealing money from her later in there? Like, we used to live in the car together. I, yeah, I don't know, man. So that's what yeah, I got so on Jewel. Her, I don't think her family, her she comes from a line of singers. That's nice. Yeah. Anyway, what I was gonna say is, thank Jewel you so was much. kind of at the height of her popularity with this when this, this movie yeah, came I'd out. Say right? This was, this was like kind of Jewel's. The, oh, my hands. My hands. My hands. That's how that song, the title's pronounced, right? My hands. <laughs> you have to <laughs> you say it like that. that you can't. You can't say my hands. Um, Amy, thank you very much for answering the question. You chose to sit with Bizarro Jewel. No. On your phone. No, I'm Bizarro Jewel. You want the like opposite of Jewel. I would say Jewel. I'm crashing this plane, but then I'll probably get stopped on my flight home. Like the opposite of Jewel. So like Luwage. 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 Yeah. She gives clothes back to stores. And she lived in a boat. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so Jewel was at the height of her popularity. The year is 2000. Uh -huh. And uh, the film Memento. Yeah, this is obviously an episode about the movie Memento. <laughs> right. We, oh, have we not mentioned that? You know that, right? This is clearly, that's all we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is about, yeah, we're, we're talking about Memento. Uh, Christopher Nolan's breakout film, his second movie. Amy, following. Amy requested it, I believe. It's one of the only Christopher Nolan films I like. It's a good reason to request Interesting. it. Interesting. Wait, wait, what are we talking about? <laughs> Memento. Okay. Oh, I forgot. Guys, um, I forgot to tell you. I, I slammed uh, Ben into a bathroom mirror right before this episode started. 
So he doesn't remember anything. He might be We're like seventy five percent. What are we fucking doing? They don't tell me about this shit, Amy. They don't tell me about these bits they plan. Well, couldn't they you tell from the blood goes down his nose? And it's obvious it's all over the control. In David's defense, that's Ben's neutral state. For one reason or another, he always has blood pouring out of anal. At least you didn't like wrap him in a shower curtain or what, what's like. What's another David, piece of imagery from Memento? I would never do that. Ben yeah. is my friend. <laughs> Um, yeah, do you want me to put duct tape on anybody's mouth? Because I could do that. <laughs> poor, poor Dodd. We need to get into Dodd. Dodd? What happens to Dodd? We gotta talk. I just, I just want to put that on the table so we don't forget it. I just want to resolve Dodd. Do you think he's related to Lot Dodd? Uh, from Star Wars? No, yeah, I, I, maybe, the maybe. Yeah, okay. I don't know. They look um, similar. When did you turn off on Nolan then? Are you just sort of not a Nolan fan in general? Sort of, you know, more recent epic widescreen Nolan. Uh, How do you feel about Christopher Nolan? Well, say a week ago, you were at the Ehrlich wedding. I was. That Dave and I were at. And I said, like, excited to have you on the show. And you said, I think it's the only one I like. And then I immediately said, wait, no, I also like The Dark Knight. Okay, okay, sure. And then I'm going to get kicked out, but I've never seen The Prestige. Oh wow, people! So love, I just—I never have made it around to it. I don't know; fine. it just never happened. I think it's—isn't it on Netflix right now? It is something? on Netflix. Right so now. you know, you could easily watch the Prestige, which, uh, yeah, I feel like you know, movie nerds are are always like, "That's the best one." I think the Prestige is great. I like the Prestige. I've been lying and pretending I've seen the Prestige for so many years. Uh, how does it, it feel to finally unburden yourself? <laughs> Gotta say, that's a real Prestige move. <laughs> but I'm hoping that everybody forgets what I said in five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but the later like Inception, uh, uh, Interstellar, the sort of recent Nolan, not your back. Well, I think the thing with recent Nolan that drives me insane is he reminds me of Ridley Scott and that he doesn't seem to care that much about people. Mm -hmm. He's just really full blown went over into the world of plot. Right. And when I watch his films, I feel like I hear dialogue come out of his mouth that no human would ever say. And I don't think he really cares about people at all as Anything more than just mechanics in this Rube Goldberg contraption right. that's designed cogs. to celebrate how brilliant he is. So I'll watch everything he does now because I want to know. Sure. I want to be on top of it. But I miss, maybe it's that you see a film like Memento at the start of a guy's career and you see one direction you want his career to go in. And to see him go so far askew, it makes you mad. I think, I don't know if you guys feel this way, but Nolan is one of the first young auteurs that I've just bought in on right away. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Me too. And yeah, I felt for sure, some for sure. ownership over him. And maybe that's maybe not fair of me to do. No, no, but I know what you mean exactly. Like, and w so what's the direction you wanted him to go in? Like you say, like, you know, you see Memento and you think what from like, what do you expect from this guy? I expect, you know, there's something about directors when they work with limitation. And I feel like maybe that's something we're going to be talking about a lot today. That Memento is a film where, pretty much his only technical effect is a reverse shot, the kind of thing that people have been doing since film was invented. Right. And everything else he had to do with like his imagination and with his dialogue and with mm -hmm. his construction and none of it came from pixels. And to, I think you work best when you're constrained. And I wish someone at Warner Brothers would have been like, cool, you are still never getting more than $50 million from us. <laughs> maybe 20, maybe 20. Maybe every film should try to be made for like 20, maybe 20, 30. 20 tops. Now I'm just messing with the number. But, do you know, I, I think that's when you get most creative. That's I think a, that's kind of one of the cap. central conceits of our show. Oh, really? Is that like, yeah, I mean, we, we go around a lot, idea, but the blank you know, check idea is that is people like. A, it can be a curse as much right. as it can be a blessing. But they like, want to earn that stats or they can do whatever they want and write their own budgets and whatever. But oftentimes the best film they make is the one that gave them the blank check, which was the one that kind of happens by mistake so, exactly. to a degree. Like the analogy, do you guys remember being in elementary school and being given like free writing exercises mm -hmm. when they're 
they give you a piece of paper and they say, go, you have 20 minutes, write something. Anything in your head, yeah. Yeah, and if it's a blank piece of paper, it was always so hard. Yeah. But if they give you one sentence or it has to use the word banana or whatever, I feel like it's just easier to get even more creative. Like you are freer when you are constrained. And now I feel like that's Stalinist or something. No, I agree. You folks want to hear something really dumb. I I totally agree with you. I also think it's a huge problem in TV, which I feel like I've talked about. We've talked about Even more so in TV because I feel like right now that's where the blank checks are being written more than anywhere else. And it doesn't have to end. Doesn't have to end. Doesn't really have to even like tell like a story every episode it's kind of just like just give us a season of a, of a tv show like you know do what you want right my elementary school was so dumb that i think as a way of trying to teach that principle to us they would only let us uh like during art art class paint with one color at a time really so they'd be like this month is blue but you wait would they colors. hide the other colors and then like at, at the end of the month they'd be like huge announcement green what? I guess maybe no. I think they gave us each one incrementally. It wasn't one at a time, but it was like distinctly like weird school did you yeah, go to. Yeah, I know. We also didn't have gym class or theater class. We had rhythms class, which was interpretive exercise. What is interpretive? Is exercise? it just like just like explore the space? Like, like I want you to do four laps around the room as a horse. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like a woman with a scarf, and then there was a guy at a grand piano who would play music to like They'd be like, here's a hula hoop, but you cannot use it as a hula hoop. Go! (laughs) You went to like a fancy private school, right? Yeah, this is why you act. It's true. All the seeds are being planted. Uh, It was like a weird, like crunchy. Yeah, crunchy, hippie private school. Yeah, it wasn't like a fancy one. No, no, no. You weren't taught to like, uh, you know, ride a horse or. No, no. You were taught to run like a horse. Right, right, right. You were the horse. (laughs) Did you guys ever have to play with parachutes in gym class? Oh, yeah. Okay, because do they still do that? That seems like the weirdest thing that happened that only when I was a child. Fucking you did not play no, with parachutes. No. Those big, well, I don't know if you know this, David grew up in London. Well, I know. I grew up in New York. Well, you I have went, plenty of parachutes oh, right. elementary over from school. the war. <laughs> in elementary school, went to PS87. Right, you didn't go to London until later. On Amsterdam in 78th until the third grade. And that had this very weird playground that was designed by some architect who was like, like, I will design the perfect space for children. Like, you know, he was like given free reign. He was given a blank check. Oh. And it was this amazing playground that was full of like covered bridges and all these like structures that went up and down that we could just hide in. And it was obviously a disaster for like grownups because they could not monitor us at all in it. <laughs> it really was like a wonderful space, like for children. So it was a great playground. They've destroyed it and replaced it, obviously, because it must have been like a health and safety like nightmare. But you never had the rainbow parachute thing? No. And you grew up in California, right, Amy? Yeah, and Texas. And in Texas, oh, we Texas. definitely okay. had the parachute thing. Like, one of my first right. memories is doing the parachute. You would, this might sound strange, you grab, the parachute's a circle, and sure, everybody I grabs think... around the ring, and you just march oh. carrying the parachute for no reason I could ever figure out to songs like the Ghostbusters theme song. <laughs> and then you, like, wave the parachute up and down, and it ripples. I've and seen, right, I have seen that, right, where you're almost like you're holding a big trampoline, and someone's going to, like, jump from yeah. a building yeah, onto it. but it fascinates me because it doesn't seem like you get that much exercise, and I no, don't know why not. we all did this. I remember yeah. we'd only Maybe it was just it. like, Jesus, they'll just, at least they'll we can lie. see where they all are, and, like, you know, this won't be complicated. Like I remember it being, like, a once-a-year thing, like, maybe two max. It, like, it counted. 
it was like almost like a, a reward, you know, or like the last day before Christmas break or something. You get to do a parachute day. Do you think this is like a Cold War thing? Where when the Cold War ended in the 80s, we just had a lot they of had all these excess parachutes and they, they gave them to colors. schools? Like, is that what happened? Well, like, what do, I want to know what kids do now. Like, I, that's, I don't know enough, like, kids in elementary school <laughs> Pro- right Probably now. playing their apps. Um, but can probably I talk tap, about England tapping. for a second? Because in England, when I went to elementary school yeah. in England, when I moved there when I was nine. Humble brag. Uh, they, did, they do the Maypole all the time. They love that. You do you guys, you know, where yeah. there's a pole and a bunch of ribbons and you all like run around it and yeah. run around it. Yeah, and like you all princesses. Like, yeah, yeah, like, like, little, like princesses. little princesses. And they also like Morris dancing, which is like a sort of version of line dancing where you're kind of like facing each other and you move around. Like that, that's good for kids. You mean the one that you see in Jane Austen movies? Yes. You were a Jane well, Austen dancer? Th- well, that's like, that's like romantic line dancing where you like have your hands, you remember, and you touch, you know. Morris dancing, you sometimes you have a stick and you just sort of like bang them together and like you, as you swap sides. Oh, well, they gave stick kids dancing? sticks. That's a really good idea. Your yeah. school sounds awesome. Sticks. Some- Han- Hanover School. It was a school oh. for asthmatic built in the Victorian age. It was on the canal, uh, Regent's Canal in London, because the idea was like they would get the sea air of this like polluted canal. It's like very silly. And the playground was on the roof. Somehow on the roof. Yeah, everything about this is so dangerous. I love it. Yeah, we weren't allowed to play with real balls. We had these like foam balls because that because obviously if we kicked a ball over the roof, which was really easy to do, like we could harm someone. This is what this is where I went to school. My my, I stunned you two into silence with this. My weird country elementary school also had the playground on the roof, and it was like a cage. Yeah, no, we had very high. Uh, yeah, it was walls. like on the roof, yeah. but then they had these caged, like there was like fencing all around it and above us for that very reason. So no one like fell off the side or threw a ball or anything. This makes me so glad I grew up in Texas where we just yeah. had giant fields. Right. That's all. I mean, we no were space. Soft and you could run around. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, here's my school. And that's obviously, that's where we, that's the roof, you know, those high cages. Hanover, it's a nice school, guys. Islington. It looks like a prison. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> My school uh, is like by a swamp. Ben grew up in New Jersey. Yeah. And uh, I'm surprised because we only play dodgeball. <laughs> like, that sounds very Jersey, though. And that, it was just like, that was life. It was, it was just, just like gym yeah. class. No, you know where the dodgeballs basically are. Basically, it's just like, hit your friends with balls. I hated, I hated dodgeball. Ben, no You're offense. You're out. But I find nothing surprising about that. <laughs> That is the least surprising thing and I've I was, ever heard. And I was a fat kid, and I always got hit. Wait, you were a fat kid? I don't yeah. see that because you you're didn't so know wiry. Yeah, I was huh. a fat kid. Yeah, oh, but Benny was tipping over the bike. They were always. Oh, <laughs> yeah, how fat? Amy's question. How fat? Yeah, pretty big. I feel like I'm setting it for joke. Like, oh, how fat here. were you? Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll show you a picture of my face. Really? I've never seen the pictures. I've, I've never only heard seen the kid, stories. Ben. This is this is huge. The fans are going to go crazy. They're going to lose us talking about a picture they can't see. This is uh, wonderful. We'll, we'll we'll post it on the Twitter. You didn't lose the weight until like your twenties, right? When did you get skinny? Uh, in college. So I was this is I me. was a skinny kid who got chubby once he was a teenager. You could see my fat face in marching bands. Is that you in the back? Yeah, that's you in the back. You, you could- look like a little toy soldier. <laughs> well, <laughs> what was your instrument at that time? I was. They had me playing the tuba. Oh boy, that is rude. Yeah. You have so Given much more face. Given the little fat kid a tuba, you had a lot more face back then. Oh, you had like double the face. face. Jeez. <laughs> you saw this? No, I need to see it. Oh my God. All right, slide it over. He does look, he looks like a bespoke collectible. Like he looks like a precious <laughs> moment statue. Oh my God. Oh he's yeah, so, he really, you know, you're right. He looks like a toy soldier. That's like the best way to put it. He's so red faced though. <laughs> I know. You also look really 
like grumpy, like because well, your arms are folded. That was our serious photo, and then we had a, then another photo where we have fun. Have you gone to a reunion? Everyone's like, "Damn!" Not yet, but I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. I mean, huh. everyone's gonna be surprised. It's funny. Yeah. Um, all the people that picked on me. How old are you in that photo? I am twenty five. Twelve. You're twelve. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. I mean, that's an age where all kinds of things start happening. That's I guess me. you like stretch out. You. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, dodgeball. So this, of course, is a podcast so about the movie. You hit all the time. Yeah, I was getting you beamed, a big baby. Target. Beamed. <laughs> beamed. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. All right. We gotta, yeah, thank you for trying to get us back on track, Griffin. Yeah, we're talking about ever. memories. We're talking about memories. That's true. Okay. That's true. That's yeah, wait, true. What are, what, are, what are we doing again? Okay, oh, boy. Um, here, I'm going to hand you a tissue. Just wipe oh, the whole general face area. Yeah, all right. Um, so, Memento, coming off of following. Uh, sure. He makes this tiny little... Have you ever seen Following? Mm-mm, I haven't. This little uh, sort of calling card movie that is a festival hit. Taken aback by how similar... These two films are stylistically watching uh-huh. them close together. I mean, this movie really is like grown up following. Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, but it's also very, it reminded me of Insomnia, which I also watch right at the same time because they're both daytime noir movies. I forgot that there's like almost yeah. no night in this movie, uh, which is, uh, I feel like a, a fun risk. Like, you know, it's all like this, like washed out. It's somewhere in California, right? I assume like it's like. Yeah, the license plates say Arizona. Oh no! Oh, do they, they say Nevada? They say Nevada. It's it's. But the, it, they it's shot the it in California. Should, yeah, right. Yeah. But it it looks like the kind of people you'd meet in Nevada um, on your way to Vegas if you've ever sure. made that drive. We've made make that drive a lot. In LA. <laughs> I would love to make that drive. Uh, I've never been to Las Vegas. It's really, one of my greatest regrets. I really would need to get to Las Vegas. It is fun for a little bit. Well, the problem is, I really like, really, really like to gamble. So it's both like I really want to go, but also like. I fear what would happen to me. You and my father are so similar. I know. It's true. We've it's talked true. about it. Uh, all right. So he makes following. Yeah. Uh, he went on a cross-country trip. Let me give you some context, actually. Uh, hey, look, I'm a connoisseur of that. Uh, he went on a cross-country trip with his brother, Jonathan, mm-hmm. from Chicago to L.A. But uh, let's make it clear, Chicago, the city, not big Chicago, Michael Shannon. They did not start the road trip book. at Michael Shannon's feet. Uh, no. Oh, that's uh, who I want to sit next to on a plane. Oh, he'd be great. Great choice. Another Don't. Hawaiian shirt fanatic. Uh, I was trying to think shirt. of someone in a Hawaiian shirt, and I can't believe I didn't even think of him. But he just, keeps it buttoned. He's classic. He's, he is. He's classic. All the way up to the top. I think he unbuttons the top, too. He should do a Nolan movie. He'd be fine for Nolan. He'd be great in a Nolan Everybody movie. would be lucky to do a Michael Shannon movie. Very him. true. Very Nolan true. should but, do you know, a Michael Nolan's Shannon Nolan's good at casting actors who look like buildings, and Michael <laughs> Shannon looks like a building. You know what because I mean? Because Michael Shannon should have been Jack Reacher. This is, this is the thing. This oh, is I've gone on about this so much. Oh, man. Really? We did a Jack Reacher episode. We love Jack Reacher on this podcast. Jack, Jack Reacher, Reacher needed to be, it's, it's Liam Neeson or Michael Shannon. That's who it needed to like, be. That's who should be. Like, I like the of idea of Tom Cruise making a franchise like that and a character like that, but that specific character in that book we, should have been Michael Shannon We or should Liam say Neeson. Amy wrote the book on Tom Cruise, who is this podcast's favorite movie star for sure. We talk about it a lot. Thank we talk you. About I'm, glad that he, I'm glad that you guys respect his talent. We totally respect but it. But still, he should not have fucking been in Jack Reacher. No. I, but I, I, but like, like Griffin's saying, I, do, I like to see him stretch, and it's a weird... Weird role for him. We love that movie. Love the first Jack Reacher. Dislike the second one. Michael second Shannon should have played it. Yeah, man, Michael Shannon would be a great Jack Reacher. He's perfect. Like I was obsessed with those books before the movies came mm-hmm. out, mm-hmm. and so that in my whole head, in my oh, whole man. head, I made it sound like a big place. But in my head, I kept thinking of uh, 
how perfect he would be. Because you can just picture him walking down a dark alley in a white T-shirt right. and jeans from a thrift store and his toothbrush and terrifying you. And that's what Jack Reacher is supposed to be, a guy it's who true. scares you the second you see him. He's not supposed to right. surprise you. In the movie, you. he surprises you. It's like, oh, I can deal with this guy. And Tom Cruise, then he does his, he exactly. your face. Right? And the movie actually really screws up the plot of the book. I, the, I wish we had had you on our Jack Sorry. Reacher episode yep, because that would have been awesome. Uh, so, but as a Cruise and Reacher fan, that must have been very scary when they were put together, like very confusing. Well, the lucky thing is I wasn't a Cruise fan until I started to write the Cruise oh, right, book. Right, right, right. So I've... You I had was, not yet been converted to Cruise. It's true. I thought he was a hack and then I realized <laughs> I was wrong. Yeah. So the whole thing of the book is me telling myself that I'm an idiot and how did I get this wrong for so long? I had a late conversion to him too. I, I didn't, like I actively disliked him until maybe like 2008. Well, I've loved him since I saw Jerry Maguire. Anyway, uh, what's your favorite cruise? Quickly. Uh, well, my favorite cruise performance, even if it's not necessarily the best, is Interview with a Vampire. Oh, he's great in Interview with a Vampire. Cool That's choice. a great pick. Really cool. He's choice. phenomenal in it. And Interview that. with a Vampire is what convinced me that he's an actor and Brad Pitt is not. Mm-hmm. Because Brad I think Pitt's I've heard terrible, you make terrible in that yes. movie. Yes, yeah. Brad Pitt's awful in that movie. I think Brad Pitt eventually figured out his stardom, how to use it as it, like in a sort of quasi cruisy way. But, but he also definitely he can be needs bad. a good director. I he's mean, very director. Did you see dependent. War Machine? He's like, that's a great example of a terrible Brad Pitt. Yeah. Wait, have you ever seen one of Brad Pitt's first movies? Uh, the Dark Side of the Sun. I have not seen The Dark Side of the Sun. I have heard oh, of it. Oh, because I have seen The Dark Side of the Please. Sun. It's the movie where he is a young rich boy who's allergic to the sun and he spends the whole movie in a head to toe <laughs> gimp mask, like actual zippers <laughs> over the mouth. And uh, he can't go outside and then he finally falls in love with a local girl. So she convinces him to have this one day in the sunshine and he goes into the sea and a dolphin uh, comes up and like hits him in the face. And that was not scripted. It just happened. It was the first time Brad Pitt ever left the country. He never had a passport before. I think they shot it in Malta or something. Good God. Yeah. My my, uh, college professor co-wrote this disastrous movie. So I've seen it. (laughs) I see that. Uh, I think like the earliest pit I've seen is like Johnny Swade or whatever. Those like, you know, pretty boy movies he made. Uh, yeah. Uh, cool World. Yeah, I've never seen Cool World. He would love this. I mean, spoiler alert. Like when he starts going into the sun, he gets lesions all over his body and sure. he's like topless and skinny and covered in lesions. I just love that some people had young Brad Pitt and they were like, okay, what movie should we put around him? What if he's covered head to toe in leather? <laughs> And, and the then most lesions. Beautiful human being who's ever existed. Let's right. cover him and then destroy his skin. Okay, so anyway, while Chris and John were taking this cross-country trip, John pitched Chris on this idea, you know, this this movie idea. Guy with short-term memory Had he already written it as a short story at that point? No, no. He pitches him on the idea. Then Christopher says to him, like, write it. Write the script. Yeah. Uh, And then Christopher decides, now it should be backwards. He comes up with the backwards idea. Uh, So Jonathan decides to write a short story version of it. Christopher writes the script. That's why there's, it's sort of like quasi like based on a short yeah. story, but there's sort of like. They were kind of written simultaneously. They were written just simultaneously. Sort of a, an idea incubator almost. And then they, and Christopher, I believe in the same way that he wrote following, he wrote it linear and then he messed it around. Like he, uh, he didn't write it as sure. you see it. He um, just remixed it. He, right. He, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, have you ever read Nolan, the short story? I read the short story as a teenager. It's totally different. Yeah, thank you. Uh, have you anyone ever read the short story Memento Mori? No. no, it's basically just told from the perspective of Leonard in the mental institution. Oh, that's very different. Yeah, so it's not really the same at all. I'm glad they cut the Mori though. Yeah, that's I know Memento's a good title. Sometimes, sometimes a little too pretentious. Sometimes Lessie is Mori. 
You know, in the case of that title. Wow, is he usually like that? He's always. He's usually worse. He's Tony on fire. Yeah, I'm usually like. Uh, Emma Thomas, Nolan's girlfriend at the time, now Mm -hmm. wife, uh, who was like, uh, she's a movie producer, but I think she was up and coming. She showed it to someone at New Market, the now defunct uh, indie Uh, studio. Studio shingle. Uh, and uh, he loved it and greenlit it, the, the producer there, for four and a half million bucks. Which they, is kind of a big bet at that time. Off a of following? I guess so, yeah. They shot it seven weeks, uh, shot in L.A. Brad Pitt was going to play Leonard, as I don't know if you knew, but it's no. great that he came I'm up. I'm glad he didn't. Yeah. Aaron Eckhart and Thomas Jane were both considered, and everyone passed, uh, and then Pierce, Guy Pierce. Who had already been in like LA Confidential? He was like, but this shot in '98. Uh, no, it shot in '99. It comes out in 2000, right? Because the Matrix had already. That's what I was going to ask. So this, they shoot this right after the Matrix comes out. They like Carrie Ann Moss in the Matrix. They cast her, and she suggests Joe Pantoliano for Teddy. Wait, so you're telling me that Carrie Ann Moss took out her ironing board, uh huh, and her steamer, yeah, placed her clothing item on there, uh huh, ironed out all the creases. Just and do then it. passed Christopher Nolan a fine pair of Italian pants. That's right, Joe Pantaleano. <laughs> Apparently, the producers worried he would be too villainous. You know, he's too obviously a scumbag. But uh, they cast him anyway. He's great. That's the Joey Pants pull. You can't hate him. How do you him. feel about Joey Pants in this movie, Amy? I really like him because he looks so insecure. You know, he looks like a like a like an alley cat that you just dunked in dirty water. <laughs> his and hair, it's not the his cat's weird tufty fault. hair. Yeah, it's not right. the cat's fault that he's repellent. That's just what the cat is. <laughs> and to make you deal with your own natural repellence to a guy just because he seems awkward and he has that crooked grin, but he's not necessarily a bad guy. Like we prejudge people. We like do, Mr. Pants. based on their, I mean, look, I, one thing that I noticed in this movie is that when he gets his photo taken, he's like, not here, not here. And there's no explanation for why he does that. Like, yeah. it's not like it plays a part in the part, in the it's plot. better lighting. And yeah, also, he's just like, yeah. nah, ah, come on. Like, well, and in inside. the photo, you keep on going like, why is his smile so weird? Yeah, and right, when I take the so photo, funny. it's because, oh, the sun is right in his eyes, so he's like squinting I, to I, sort of block out the sun. That's one of the many things I love about this movie is how the photos are all kind of bad. Yeah. Like, it would suck if they were all, like, these head-perfectly composed headshots. Like, the Natalie photo, you can barely see her. Like, he's, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I was thinking about it, like, if you made this movie in the age of Instagram. Right. You would know at least when you took all the pictures, and you could make your little caption underneath it. But you would probably take three or four different pictures, and then maybe people would know what you were thinking about anyways, unless you made your account private. No, you're I was going through all of this in my head today. This is a movie that, right, smartphones immediately make it irrelevant, right? Like, yeah, it's one you of those. You must be texting stuff to yourself. Right. I mean, all noir movies cannot function in yeah. the age of the smartphone, I guess. But but especially really, this, yeah. which is about, like, evidence. It would be a movie about and- two apps. He'd have his Evernote app, <laughs> and he would have a private Instagram account, right. and he'd just scroll through them, and he'd go, great, I got all my information. I'm well, never having to search for a pen around <laughs> Carrie Ann Moss's house like a fucking I mean, idiot. One of the best things about this movie is that, yeah, the, she defeats him by removing pens from her <laughs> house. Like, that's his ultimate kryptonite. He's like, no pen! What do I do? That's one of the things I love he about this movie. He should have a tape recorder. He really should. He should be like, you know, July 1st, it's me. This girl, Natalie's like, she's up to no good. Like, you know, and then. So you want him to be Kyle, Kyle McLaughlin? Exactly. Right. Or Henry from the Book of Henry. <laughs> or Fletch. Or Fletch, Fletch. Fletch has a tape recorder. Or Fletch. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but Guy Pierce was a really big to me already when, when this movie came out because Priscilla, Queen of the Desert was one of the Priscilla first man. R-rated movies I ever snuck in to see. Mm-hmm. 
That's and like 94, he, I think. 94, yes. yeah. I was really he's, young. I got picked so up by an that. older guy to go on a date. And mm-hmm. I, that was the movie I wanted to see. My parents weren't going to let me because it was R-rated. And it became my favorite movie. And oh. he, so I didn't know who he was at all when I saw that movie. Or Terrence Stamp or, or the guy whose Hugo name was playing again. Hugo Weaving, who was then in The Matrix with Carrie Ann Moss. Indeed. I didn't know who any of these people were. And I just believed they were the people on the screen. I totally believed like Terrence Stamp was transgender. Mm-hmm. I believed all of it. And I believed Guy Pierce was just like a handsome gay Australian man. And then I realized he was an actor and I felt very dumb. <laughs> Guy Pierce is, it's funny. He's so pretty, he's but so in such pretty. a strange way, but you know, he has those cheekbones and the very angular face. Insane so monster, right? he's perfect for, obviously for Priscilla, uh, for that, for that movie. And, and, but he's become, I love him now yeah. where he's still kind of pretty, but he's a little older and he looks like this sort of, well, please go ahead. It's the same argument I make about Tom Cruise, which Tom Cruise got more interesting as an actor once the bags start developing under his eyes. Uh-huh. You know, these guys who kind of look a little too perfect when the insecurities Cruise, come. Though. I just did a whole 80s Cruise run. I, I rewatched I like Rain Cruise Man, Color too. Money. Well, I love how his neck was really thick and then his neck somehow got thin. And I don't know how he did that. <laughs> he made his head bigger. <laughs> you got one of those head enlargements. You got one of those uh, so, head pumps. But the thing with Guy Pierce is he's not just pretty. He's no. prim. You know, he looks like almost unlikable. His lips can be pursed together when Mm -hmm. he wants them to be in this way that makes him seem unpleasant. He can also look like to his advantage. Exactly. And he can also look like in that one picture where he first kills the guy and he's like ecstatic. Right. He can look like a soccer hooligan. Yeah, Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah. Giving him the blonde hair was actually a good touch, too, because it it makes him seem a little alien. Yeah. Because it's so white, his hair. Like, it's so light. But he also uh, has weird horse teeth. Which this movie uses teeth. well when they want him to be a little unnerving. If he smiles a little too big, his whole face gets very distorted. It's just crazy now how, like, you know, like, I feel like he makes Memento and he should be a big star after this, right? right. Like, and he was apparently, he was almost in The Dark Knight as Two-Face, like, you know. They, like, oh, really? You know, and like. And I, I feel, think he was in the running for Batman in Begins, He was right? in the running he was audition in, like, for the Batman. Six. And. And, like, instead, he doesn't become a star. He does the time machine. Yeah, he kind of just vanishes. He's yeah. Count of Monte Cristo. Remember right. that? Uh, and then he sort of comes back And he resurfaces 2000s. as this weird preening villain right. guy. Like, in the King's Speech, in, like, that movie, what's it called? Lawless or whatever with Shia yeah, LaBeouf. Yeah, Iron Man 3. Uh, Iron Man 3. Like, he's really good in Animal Kingdom. And, and now, like, the Alien movies where he's uh, right. Wayland, you know, where he's, He's become like, this, like, creepy character actor. It's so odd. Uh, sorry, what do you, what do you think, Amy? I, I, I know anybody else didn't consider him a major star, but maybe it's just my Priscilla grounding I, in him. I, I consider him, I love him. And anytime I see him, I'm like, like very happy to see him. But he's just, he's just had an odd career. I'm sort of looking at his. He doesn't really have an iconic leading role post-Memento. But Memento's, but he's so right? good. In They're a, all like, sort of supporting Well, what's so interesting about him is he's kind of Rob Lowian. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. where Rob Lowe is handsome in a similar way. Right. Where Rob Lowe can't play anybody except people who are just a little unnervingly handsome and it right. has to be part of the character. Like when he is in Parks and Rec. Yes. You know, like that's the kind yeah. of character that Rob Lowe was designed to do. And Guy Pierce is like the slightly more villainous right. version slightly of that. More like slightly more s- twisted. like version yeah. of that. Yeah. But it's like you almost play a character who vanity has to be built into the role like it is when he plays Wyland in the Aliens movies. Right. And I mean, and I mean, this is before Memento, but I love, love, love his performance in like Confidential, which is like a movie I've seen a yeah. zillion times. And, and he would have won your Davy Award that year, yeah, right? Exactly. For best lead, for, for yeah. sure. And that's like a movie where he's like very vain, uh, like the character is very vain, and you're watching like slowly as it, he both like gains and loses his vanity. You know what I mean? Like he 
figures out how to look and like how to be a cool cop, but he also realizes it's all like bullshit anyway. I love, I mean, I love Ellie. Wait, you know how like when you were in Excellent. elementary school, a place we've been talking about a lot today, <laughs> there was like the cutest boy in the class and mm-hmm. the cutest boy in the class tended to look like Guy Pierce did. That kind mm-hmm. of shrunken Ken doll look. Right, yeah. yeah. And yeah. the slightly like thinner face, you know, like bones. Yeah, he's bones. pretty. Yeah, and usually pretty. that guy grows up to be kind of hideous looking, but Guy <laughs> Pierce just kept it going and it, he made it work as an adult. Maybe that's why he gets cast as these villain roles is all of these producers are reminded of a guy who was mean to them when he was yeah. in fifth grade. Yeah, so right, to, right. To throwing They're like, balls Fuck this at guy. Him. Exactly. And he's less charismatic. Like in an, in, in, I think by design, he doesn't like to be boringly charismatic. You know, he's married to Carice Van Houten. Really? From, uh, you know, uh, Game of Thrones, Black Melisandre from Black Book, Paul Verhoeven movie. How long have they been married? Not that long. You know uh, what I also don't know about him? How tall is he? He is, I will tell you how tall he is. He started out as a bodybuilder, right? Before he was an actor? Uh, he started out, oh my God. I think he was uh, a professional bodybuilder. See, the thing, in England, he's legendary as Mike from Neighbors, which is this Australian okay. soap opera. Uh, so that's what I think of him from. I don't think he ever was a bodybuilder. I think he was a bodybuilder. All right, well, we're just going to leave that. He is 5'11". That's perfect, way taller than I would have thought. Normal height. Yeah. Doesn't he look like he'd be five eight? Yeah, he looks like well, because he's small, like in a weird, you know, compact, like, like a bodybuilder. So, yeah, so compact is usually the word you think of with bodybuilders. <laughs> he plays Tom, Tom Cruise, all the great bodybuilders. Compact. <laughs> he plays Leonard. Uh, Leonard. Oh right, we're Shelby, talking about the movie Memento. Yeah. Uh, an insurance, a supposed insurance investigator, who has short term memory loss, spoilers, anterior grade amnesia. And uh, after the murder of his wife, and he's on some weird revenge mission where he's trying to, like, f- find her killer. We all know the plot of Memento, right? I mean, Jesus. It's a tough movie to actually, because we usually go through the plot, kind of, and then, like, have our observations as we hit those points. But it's a very tough movie to d- discuss chronologically. It is. Well, maybe we can go through it chronologically in the way that the movie Backwards. screws with our emotions. Right. Um, I'm sorry. Hold on one second here. I won the junior state championship when I was about 10. I just found the whole world of bodybuilding really fascinating. The idea of actually changing yourself was fascinating. And then as I got older, I concentrated on developing my mind and spirit rather than my biceps. I was always looking at my biceps, okay, wishing right, they were okay. bigger. No, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. I was oh, never quite on. the proud bodybuilder that I think some guys are. Guy Pierce. He was a 10-year-old bodybuilder? 10-year-old bodybuilder is not a bodybuilder. Through his teen years. So he was like young Hercules. Yep. And then when he hit his 20s, he started developing the mind. So he waited mm. until he was 20 to read a book. Yeah. I guess. They have 10-year-old bodybuilders? Apparently. What can hey, Australia is do? weird. Australia is a weird place. They have 10-year-old like alligator wrestlers? <laughs> I don't know. I've never gotten to go to Australia yet. I've also never been to Australia. But uh, he moved there when he was three years old. He's actually born in Britain. Oh, really? He was uh, raised in Australia. And you're right. Competitive amateur bodybuilder until the age of 16. I just saw it. Uh, and he also fenced. Anyway, Guy Pierce. He plays Leonard Shelby. Mm-hmm. And the movie starts with a Polaroid. Of murder. He's shaking it. He's shaking it backwards. Just like Andre 3000 it's told this, him to do. This very, uh, you know, like you say, it's like his big show off shot. It's like Nolan's only big, you know, right? Like he's got this reverse shot. Uh, he's got the David Julian, like that sort of weird, like synthesizer score. And the Polaroid D develops. Right. And he goes backwards. It undevelops. I'm always fascinated by special effects that look like things that could happen in the real world and just really disorient you. Mm -hmm. Because there's just such a difference between a special effect like a reversing Polaroid and a CGI dinosaur. And like this Polaroid is so normal that the fact that it's bizarre blows your mind. Whereas a CGI dinosaur, I feel like you just shut off and you're like, who cares? I I agree agree with you. Right. You're immediately like, oh, I get it. It's fake. 
we're in fake land now. You know? Yeah. Uh, like, I was talking about the movie Seconds recently. Have you guys seen Seconds with John, John Frankenheimer? Frankenheimer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah years like, ago. yeah. There's just this little moment where he goes to, where this character tries to run around and escape in an elevator and there's just no elevator button to get down. And it's just that little like, whoa, That's such a good little nightmare. It's the tiniest thing. special uh. effect. This is why I want directors to have like five dollars. I mean, I, give I, them all five dollars and I, see what they do. I don't disagree with you. And, and like Griffin says, this is part of the concept of our movie. And, you know, in of the insomnia. In, in this our, isn't a movie. I'm yet. So, it's a weekend. Yeah. Uh, you know, in our insomnia episode next week, which we've already recorded, we talk about how like even getting insomnia, what doesn't happen anymore? You know, you make a movie like Memento. Now you get the superhero movie right after that. At least, you know, like 15 years ago, it was like, you make oh, a 40 you know, million dollar movie here's a like a, a star driven, small, like mystery movie. Right now. Yeah. Now he makes this and he gets Spider-Man eight or whatever. Right. Not to be derisive of Spider-Man eight. Maybe it would be great. I have no idea. Yeah. Spider-Man homecoming six. <laughs> But you're right, like sometimes the director isn't ready for that yet. No. And then they get exposed as untalented. It, it's, uh, it's, you can't get promoted too fast if you haven't learned how. What's his pants? Uh, Fantastic Four guy. Trank, Trank. your Tranks. Well, I also think a big thing that happens now is that they will promote someone too fast because they go like, look, if it turns out they're up for the job, that's a benefit to us. And it turns out if they're not, then we overpower them and the studio takes over the movie. Right. Like right, it's right. easier to push over a guy like that if it's really IP-based brand building franchise movies. Versus if you hire Ridley Scott and Ridley Scott's going to stand his ground. Sure. I yeah. think that's like one of the, the large symptoms of studio filmmaking. Right. But that's then, but then you get like an alien covenant the other way around. Yeah. Where Ridley Scott's like, I have this, I have this specific idea for this movie. And I bet Fox wishes that they could have hired <laughs> yes. someone like Josh Trank to make an alien. Reboot. I bet they do. Uh, anyway, did you like alien covenant? Have you seen alien? Covenant? Yeah. I saw alien covenant. I liked it better than Prometheus because mm-hmm. I thought it was less pretentious and fewer speeches, but it's still, it's still, it's still, it's still that girl though. was great. And I'm just blanking on her. Uh, it's, it's, Catherine Waterson. That's yeah. Catherine great. Waterson. She just has this baby face and she sort of looks like a stork and she's really stretched out. She's also five foot 11, like Sigourney and Guy Pierce. She, does she have a bird is compelling. I really, I like, I like her face. I like her face a lot and a bird face in a good way. Like, I don't mean that. Yeah. Like, I she think does. her body, I'm trying to think what her favorite. face is more like a, she does, she does have an interesting quality. I mean, she looks unlike anyone else in movies. Yeah, but it's also yep. got that thing where, you know, like Christopher Nolan, Ridley Scott can't write dialogue for a human being to save his life. He doesn't yeah. know how humans talk. Nor does he care anymore, right? He's more like, right, I have this big idea for my movie. And it, the, the dialogue's only in service of the plot, which is right, right, which I, which he's leading with. See, a difference between Nolan This and movie Scott has decent me. dialogue. This movie has yeah. good dialogue, I would argue. Um, a, a difference between the two of them for me is I, I think Christopher Nolan works best when his characters are similar to him. Like, he can't write naturalistic human characters, but he can write guys who are as sort of clinical and obsessive as he is. And when that's the primary focus of the movie, I think the movie kind of works. I think Ridley Scott thinks he's more of a humanist than he is. Mm. You know, he's constantly sort of fighting with that. And like a character like David in Prometheus is probably much closer to how Ridley Scott views the world. You mean Ridley Scott doesn't know he's a replicant? <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm arguing. Exactly. Spoiler alert. Nolan's two biggest influences are for sure Michael Mann and Ridley Scott, who are both these robotic, at times, filmmakers, right? Yeah. And he, I mean, he would admit that. Nolan, that those are his two biggest, like, forebears. But then the weird thing is, like, in terms of what he's come to represent in culture, it's, like, somewhere in between Steven Spielberg and Stanley Kubrick. Like, he's at this weird axiom of, like, cold precision. But also. super analog. Superstar director status. Right. Populist. Yeah. 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 Weird. He's got little boys in the palm of his hand. 
Literally, he holds little right. boys when he's directing. Memento. <laughs> Wait, yeah, what are we doing? Oh, Jesus okay. Christ. Ben? How many times have I told you? Your name is Ben Hosley. Oh, okay. No, he knows his name. is. That's yeah. the thing. Your wife I remember, was murdered, and you so, have to come in here and right, podcast I'll, with us I'm every week in order to find her. seeing oh, okay. Memento. All right. I saw it in the theaters in yeah. England. This movie came out in 2000 in England. It came out before it came out in America. It came out uh, 20th of October, 2000. And this was definitely, I was 14 years old, and this is a movie that like blew my mind. Did it come out in 2000 in the U.S.? No, 2001. Came out March 16th, 2001. Oh, yeah. Okay, fine. Uh, and uh, and I, then I bought it on VHS, and I made people watch it with me. I was a little a little teenager mm-hmm. and I remember showing this to my mother and one of her complaints being like why does he know his name though like you know she just like did not like the short term memory loss gimmick at all uh, anyway when, when did you guys see this movie that was me I probably saw this movie after Batman Begins because that was the first Nolan movie I had seen I'm a big Batman fan that movie for me was like oh this is the comic movie I've been wanting to see my whole life and then after that I like went back and watched uh, Insomnia Memento hadn't seen it since then I probably saw, I have not seen it since 2005 saw it once oh really yeah oh, okay right I and, watched it a bunch and I remember at the time I I mean I definitely liked it more watching it this time because at the time I had seen it it had been so overhyped and it was one of those movies which a lot of shitty people liked mm-hmm. you know like especially like five years after its release it was like a movie that like a lot of dumb people wouldn't stop talking about you mean it was a fight club it was kind of a, it was fight, a club. fight club for sure. And Nolan sort of also does fall starring a shirtless correct. Yeah. Uh, but Nolan falls into that territory where it's like a lot of dumb people like his movies for the wrong reasons. You know, there there are a lot of elements that I don't think are what he's consciously playing up to. It's different than Fight Club, which is like a satire and guys took it at face value. Well, right. But the thing with Memento and with a lot of it is was like, I get this movie, right? That became well, yeah. Thing, right? It's like the way they say that Trump is a poor person's idea of a rich man. <laughs> right. Nolan is a Okay, smart person's idea of a genius. Right, right, right. But what's fascinating about him to me, I mean, and this is that the whole thing that I sort of like can't crack of how Nolan, like what he reflects in society that has made him, especially in American culture. It's very Mm -hmm. odd because here you have this like sort of elitist cold British man Mm -hmm. who should seem like the antithesis of what like mainstream audiences want to see in filmmaking. But he's like tapped into this very like universal thing. And it is that he is kind of like a a dumb person's idea of a genius, which isn't to say he isn't smart, but he's this very particular type of smart where I think he's not watering himself down at all in his intelligence, but his level of intelligence and how he tells stories is just understandable enough for people to get with some effort so that they feel like they're smart. Right. It's like breadcrumbs where you follow his breadcrumbs and at the end you feel full. Because he's very clear in what he's doing. Anyone, if they're paying attention, can track onto it. And he's very aesthetically engaging and he hires beautiful movie stars and he's got cool sequences and cool plots. Right, but he, and he always prestiges really well. Like the third act, you're always like, ah, yes, yes, it, it all works. And people I, feel I, proud I understand like, now. when they right. finish watching a Nolan movie. Yeah, what? and none of this, I feel like as we're talking about it, it sounds like we're being condescending, mm-hmm. but it's still cooler in a lot of ways than what other filmmakers are doing. Agree. He's not just like, here, take my garbage. He's like, no, let no. me strew this garbage around in this really artful way, and it's going to be modern art. And, and at a certain point, especially, you know, once I'm seeing movies like Interstellar, where I'm like, okay, he just, this is just what he does. And like, I feel like you see enough movies by a director and you stop being frustrated by their, their 
bit, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. They're tropes. And you're just like, oh, yeah, look, mm-hmm. of course. Although yeah. I wish he didn't keep killing my wife's. He kills, he's like he so into dead wives. And, and this is a dead wife movie. It's a dead wife movie and he loves dead girlfriends. And I feel it like it, there's something in him that's like, I don't quite know what makes humans sad on a sure. normal level. So he has mm-hmm. to just take it to 11. I feel like this is the common complaint about him, right? Where he's like, look, I've, I've I distilled a basic emotional arc into this very complicated epic puzzle that you you walk through, right? Like, I've made this cool maze. But it's like he's figured out end, one emotional And you understand what being sad right. is. Right. He just right. knows grief. He knows yes. grief so well. He likes grief. But I there's mean, so much more interesting things in life than grief. Right. But as, as I rewatch these movies for this podcast, I really do. He likes making movies about, like, ghosts, right? Like, walking ghosts who yeah. have, like, a thing left to do. This movie is about a person who is basically dead. He directed Casper, right? He directed Casper. Unfinished then he moved vision. on to this. And, yeah, and Ghost Dad. He did. <laughs> ghost Dad. And Ghost Ship. Uh, ghost ship, sure. And ghost dog. You directed ghost dog. That's a, oh, oh, yeah, Wave that's a good movie, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but this is right. This is about a guy. We gotta add a lot more episodes onto this miniseries. <laughs> Maybe we should do a ghost, uh, ghost, ghost pod. Just any movie with ghosts. <laughs> but remember, ghost dad. He's not a ghost, right? Remember, wasn't this what we got in <sighs> trouble trivia. with the trivia? He's the, not a dad. He's, he's not like a ghost in a ghost coma or something. He's in a coma, and he like he's like they think he's gonna die, and he enters a ghost state, and at the end of the movie, he comes back to life. Same trick that, uh, and then just he gets like a mistrial. Oh, <laughs> oh God. fuck off! All right, all right, all right. Ugh. All right. At least they're retrying it. Um, Are they definitely going to retry? They announced it immediately. Okay. Uh, I mean, I've served on a jury. I was certainly not surprised, especially when I heard they'd come back and said, "What is beyond a reasonable doubt?" I remember when I was on a jury, that was a lot of discussion about, like, what does that mean? Like, were you the twelfth angry man? Uh, I was a little bit. Actually. He was on the Cosby jury. That's what they. <laughs> no, I was not on the Cosby that. jury. It was a piece of shit uh, case. Anyway. Um, what I was sorry, just gonna say I'm is totally it, derailed. Yeah. Oh, when did you see Memento? That was my question. Oh, yeah. I think about Memento a lot mm-hmm. because I feel like one conversation I feel like I'm always having with people is that I love VOD and streaming and as soon as you can stuff for uh, indie indie movies now because sure, I feel like right, right. everyone can see it. If because they everyone can see it. Like there's not this way of like you're only reviewing for a handful of people who hopefully will remember that this film exists when it's at the video store in a year. Right. Although I miss video stores a lot. So Memento, when Memento played, it played at a theater maybe 45 minutes away from where I was a freshman in school. Mm -hmm. And we all just piled into a car and drove out there together. It was just this big, big, big deal where I think we were full. We met up with a bunch of our friends at the theater. It was our night out. We were so excited to go and drive to see it. Yeah. And I missed that a little bit because I'm from a kind of small town. And like you would look or this is my college was a small town. And to look around a little theater and to know everybody in there because you were all so excited to see this one movie that you had heard was good. And also just sort of like like we're talking about restrictions, like the lack of choice was almost exciting where it's like, what does the art house theater have? It has one screen. It has one movie every week. Like, what is it going to be? I will see it because I trust them enough. Right. Well, and also a movie like this that did break out a little bit outside of the art house. It's like that might be the one art house movie that makes it to a multiplex. It might only sure, be in right, one right. multiplex within an hour range of where you are, but it might be the one. That's exactly what this was. Right. There was like a big theater in a mall far away from us that sometimes would give one of their screens right. to something right. interesting. Right. If something kind of like broke out of the pack. But did you so did you enjoy the film when you saw it? Absolutely. Like, and I felt like I was like patting myself on the back. There's a cool new movie mm-hmm. and I've actually gotten to see it, which mm-hmm. did not happen that much in Oklahoma. Right. Shit. It made it to Oklahoma. I mean, obviously this movie was a huge hit for, it made like, we'll get to the box office, but you know, it did well. It made about yeah. $25 million. Got a DGA nomination, which was the craziest thing. And I got two Oscar nominations. Writing right? and uh, editing. editing. Right. The and editing then, nod was so funny because it's like, 
I mean, it's a perfectly well-edited movie, but, but obviously. Anytime there's a movie with multiple narratives right. Any or kind of it's told out of order, they give up. credit to the editor. And it's yes. like, the editor's just putting the pieces together in the way the writer told them to. Uh, but, yeah. It, it, but, it, hey, it's a... It's a well-edited movie. It, it, yeah. It's a 100%. very taut movie, especially considering it's pretty long. In yeah, my head, like it was shorter, hours. but it's almost two hours long. I always thought it was like a 90-minute picture. Yeah. It's like right at two hours. So the plot of Memento, I just described it, and it's going backwards, and so that's the plot. What do you guys think of Memento? Yeah, I mean, so Let's I... Let's dig into Memento. Hadn't seen it since 2005 or 2006, whatever it was, yeah. and I was surprised by, no joke, how, how little of it I remembered. I remembered the ending scene very vividly uh-huh. and sort of the basic idea of it, but watching it, I was still like kind of... It felt like watching it for the first time because I couldn't remember how it all fit together. Okay. I couldn't remember the pieces. I just remembered the end point, the end Yeah, reveal. I remember scenes. Like, I would, I yeah. remembered Carrie Ann Moss mm-hmm. coming the, the back, like, scene. messing with him. Yeah. Right. Who's so good in this and such a, like, undeveloped character. Yeah, she's, I mean. She's a femme fatale. I guess that's the excuse. What I like so much about this movie is how much it plays with just our need to prejudge everyone right. else and assume that the hero is the hero. Right. Yeah. Like you just That's assume that, guy, that guy Pierce is on a quest. Mm-hmm. And so, well, God damn it. Who is messing with Guy Pierce's life? Never really considering that Guy Pierce could be messing with his own life. Of course. Right. And, or the, and like he has those things early on where he's like, memories are unreliable. I trust evidence. And you're like, right, this guy, he knows what he's doing. He's got his folder. He's got his, you know, he has a system. I have to trust this guy. Cause he's, he's like, he's perfectly crystallized his mission. But of course, like, his missions, like all his stuff is bullshit. bullshit. Right. right. Well, Car- carry on, sorry. The thing I love about this movie, there's the whole like metatextual element of like, I feel like this movie is kind of a commentary on how people watch movies and that like you engage with any scene and try to pick up on the contextual clues of how someone's behaving, how they're dressed, how the scene's lit, the things that give you all these signals of like, okay, who's my hero? Who's my villain? When is the scene going to be, uh, you know, kind of like teasing a, a threat of danger or whatever? And he's sort of observing every scene the same way we are. Like the character in the movie has as little context as we do in the audience. So you're like, it, it's an amazing audience association movie. Yeah. Because you're just like seeing it through his eyes trying to figure out like, right. well, have, have, he, have, have these conversations happened before? Has he spoken to this person before? Is that his car or not? Exactly. Even in that way where he tells us right on about Sammy. Mm-hmm. And then like writing and he's like, did I tell you about Sammy? And we have that frustration of being someone in his life who already knows this story that he's already forgotten. And we immediately yeah. feel what it must be like to be around him. Right. It, and to that point, like I also, I, what I think is so fun about this film is when a director is able to get inside the audience's head and just mess with it so much that you really, f- I think when we think about like filmmaking and film construction, we think about like the look of it and the performances and, and you know, how the script is written. But this film, remind watching it again today, it reminded me of watching. Did you guys get to see uh, Billy Lynn's Long Halftime mm-hmm. Walk? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Did oh, you yeah. get to see it in high frame rate? I saw it yep. in both. Weirdly yeah. enough, yes. Like I know it gets a lot of garbage for the high frame rate, mm-hmm. but that the use of high frame rate in Billy Lynn's Halftime Walk makes you so hyper alert and so uncomfortable and so miserable seeing all of the text of what's going on, seeing all of these people moving, seeing all the glitter and the pom poms that you really get to where he wants you to go with it, which is this is what PTSD feels like. Right, right. And he makes you feel it by using this technology. It's, it's manipulative, but in a good way. It's discombobulating. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's so hard to really do. And that mm-hmm. does it well. And Memento does it well. I think you're right. Yeah, Memento. Yeah, you're genuinely 
feel both like him and you feel like the people like people like Teddy around him who are I've never come up with a better term for this than like theme park movie and it always sounds like derisive or backhanded but it's that movie that makes you feel the exact way the character's feeling through like cinematic technique like this you know and like Diving Bell and the Butterfly does that too where it's like we're gonna use this to make you feel like it's almost a VR movie Um, yeah because there's a difference between like audience empathy for what the audience is feeling and audience like awe and submission Mm-hmm. And I think he later on goes towards awe and submission. Like here is a giant astounding image bow down instead of thinking like only about your nervous system and what is your nervous system feeling and what is your brain doing? Mm-hmm. When you, Yeah. When you see a movie like this, you wish you'd make movies like this for sure. Like this movie also, it, it's like more fun than a lot of his other movies. And I like most of his films, but there's like you feel a playfulness here. Like right, the, the joy spitting he in the has. beer. Yeah, and just... The, like, I'm, he's, right. you know, I'm chasing this guy. He's chasing me. It's like, like a you know, dirty, like, grimy oh, movie, yeah. and he's sort of like digging into all these weird little like scummy pockets of this culture, but also yeah. the fact like the joy he's having at the trick he's pulling off. Because, right. Well, it's pretty when, infectious. When you watch the movies, you know, like the movie is really about this weird guy <laughs> comes to town, and it's it might as well be like, uh, what's it called? Out of the Past or whatever, right? Like some... Fucking weirdo shows up. Everyone knows him. Oh, it's the memory guy. Yeah, He's, you can imagine this being like 1882 Nevada. Exa- exactly. Right? It almost is like a Western, like he rides this, up on his horse. This and shit like, town yeah. is that. It's like yeah. there's the bad bar that like, you know, the guy deals coke out of and there's the yeah. discount in that like no one's actually at. So he's renting multiple rooms to the memory guy just right. to like cover the bills. You can't tell Pants is the good kind of sheriff or the bad yeah. kind of Who sheriff. Who the fuck is he? Yeah. And like, and then there's this like, Goddamn Blair Witch House, like at the you know the bad end of town. Like, what is that <laughs> yeah. place? Where and, and Joe Joey Pants says like, ah, it's this fucked up place. Like he doesn't even just, like really. So he's like, you don't want to go there. It's a fucked up place. Um, and so it's about this guy wanders into town, and eventually everyone is like, oh, this guy. I could like do something with this guy. This guy's kind of useful because he's he just wants one thing, which is to find you know John G. I could get like so. Joey Pants is like I can get some money out, you know, out of sort of using him as a blunt. Well, so Joey Pants is the cop who was assigned to his case to find the man who who murdered his wife. Except, spoiler alert, didn't actually murder his wife, but the man who attacked him, the man who injured his brain. Right. And uh, but yes, yeah, he finds the man. They find him. They kill him. Off books. They take the cutest Polaroid of all time. What a sincere smile. He looks like he's a burning man. It really, really is. does it's look like, like he's a burning man. It's so true. And it's perfect, right? Because he's illuminated <laughs> by the flash of the Polaroid and it's just black around yeah. him. Like you have no idea what happened. Winning smile. He's pointing to his nipple. He's pointing to, no, he's pointing to here where he's going to put, I did it. That's the no, idea. No, but it looks like he's pointing at his nipple. Uh, it's sure, me sure. making a funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and so. Yeah, what and, kept him from just writing, I did it? Well, there's a shot in the movie where you see her lying on his bare chest and it's it, the tattoos there. And you don't know if it's like, you know, right at the end when he's kind of like processing like, oh, yeah, maybe I maybe I'm like lying to myself. And you don't know. Right. Did he just not do it or did he do it and then get it removed? Or like, you know, like because I like the idea that even the tattoos aren't really very trustworthy. Right. Like you can fuck with tattoos. Yeah, I was yeah. wondering watching this because now I feel like the big trend in tattoos for the last maybe eight years has uh-huh. been like inspirational phrases all over the body. Sure, sure. Which I don't quote think was quotes, you, you know, like remember to breathe, you know, tattoos <laughs> right. like that, which I don't think people had that many of in 2000. 
No. He did that oh, was like the end of the nose pierce, ear pierce, eye pierce trend. And, and, and the sort of like, yeah, yeah, right. Icons. The Celtic art or the Sanskrit yeah. symbol or whatever. Like the tribals that, uh, weren't over Mall yet. tattoos. Mall t- right. Where they're like, Darth Maul, of course. Where they would be like, yeah, look at all these like symbols we have. Does any of them speak to you? And right. someone would be like, oh, I like that one. Does it mean? They'd be like, it means like cup of coffee and like, you know. Bengali, but sure, let's put it on, you know, your yeah. cheek. Body forever. Yeah. <laughs> but you're wondering if this movie kind of was at the forefront of text-based tattoos. Well, yeah, because culture. he has, he doesn't just have word tattoos. He has so many beautiful fonts. Really good. They're nice. a really good font It's a great collection. font The movie. lady who's giving him the driver's license tattoo, I mean, the license plate tattoo, which is like aesthetically one of the least pleasing tattoos. It's literally just license plate number, blah, blah, blah. That's a great, she's doing a great job. That yeah, looks like free hand. It's a freehand serif font. It's amazing. <laughs> she's awesome. I mean, he's such a, it's such a, I don't know who had the idea. I assume, you know, one of the two Nolan brothers had to say, it's such a good idea, the image of him. Like just, just to look at him. Uh, and it's such a low scale prop like just to paint him with all this weird makeup but and they do a good job teasing it out because at the beginning of the film you're just seeing the one on his hand he's wearing this weird suit that's really high quality but also doesn't fit him properly which I love that's that's another thing that's sort of out of the past about him why why does he have this car and like right at the beginning Joey Pants is like your window's broken you know like you're right about the alien thing, though, because the, the like character he kind of looks like the most is David Bowie and Man Who Fell to Earth. Oh, yes. that's true. Where it's right. like this guy's very handsome and very stylish, but weirdly off. And yet what's weird is I think so many movies lazily write this hero character with the nice suit and the nice car, mm-hmm. never questioning why he has it. And yeah. I like that this movie says, this is bizarre. This should not be happening. Right. He should not have an endless supply of money. Why does he have all this money? Why, where does he get the money from? Right. How does his, I mean, like, yeah, how does his mission work? At all, you know, and I love that one of the tattoos is an actual like plot twist in the movie when he finally lifts off the bandage and it says "Don't answer the phone." That's great, and it's in such scary font too. He has it in weird like impact lettering. I love how the end credits of this movie are just a shot of him turning around and they're all tattooed on his back. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> the camera just slowly pans down. <laughs> What do you think of that line when he realizes that he has a gun and he says, well, I don't think they would let someone like me have a gun. Right. And Teddy's like, fucking hope not. Yeah. But I'm like, oh, no, we live in a world where we're having this fight all the time. Right. And yes. Yeah. Lots of people who should not have guns because of mental reasons are having guns. It's for sure. And but not only that, like the, the movie is kind of, like he kind of does get to have a gun. Like that's sort of the problem. You're letting this guy run amok. Uh, he probably should be institutionalized. Maybe the anti-gun lobby should just buy that. That 10 second clip and just be running it in ads all the time. I can hope that. But of course, you know, this movie is the reason why I own a gun because we got lunatics like Teddy running around. Us good Teddy? Guys, good what guys Teddy like ever me. do? All right. So Teddy, Teddy's this, right. So Teddy's this kind of like busted guy. I guess, you know, you maybe you don't even really know if he's a cop. But when you rewatch the movie, as I have rewatched it many, like, the more you see it, like, Teddy, you're like, what, what, what's this guy doing hanging out? Like, because he shows up in his car at one point. Like, he has this weird familiarity with him yeah. that makes no sense when you consider the guy's never going to know who he is, right? Right. But I guess that's his move is just if I just am totally familiar with him, he will get that I'm not a threat. But, yeah, and like right from the beginning when you see him, there's all these signs that you can't trust him. You know, the movie me. keeps setting it up like, that's not my car, that's right. not my truck, and he just feels like he's always mansplaining to him like his life, and always being wrong, and you don't know if you can trust anything that's coming out of his mouth. Right, and then of course he always looks at the Polaroid, he's like, don't believe his lies. Alright, well I won't believe his lies. But uh, Which uh, things are the lies? But it's right. true, Teddy always just shows up, and has what is basically seems like decent advice, which is 
you need to leave this town. <laughs> like, uh, and if Leonard probably knew that he's been hanging around this town for a long time, he would get that. But he doesn't know that. Yeah. He just knows that he just woke up like in his brain every 15 minutes. And he's like, so where am I again? Do I know you? Like, you know, I love how well he plays the fake like, oh, yeah. You know, like the sort of like the Sammy Jenkins thing, essentially. Yeah. Well, well, over I, and over again. I relate so much to that because I feel like I have mild face blindness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh. I mean, I, I like I don't like people self-diagnosing themselves with crazy diseases. So I like I probably <laughs> do not have face blindness. I'm probably just terrible at looking at things. But I never recognize people. It's like very hard for me to recognize people sure. usually. And so I live so much in that Sammy world of like preemptively oh. smiling to make sure that if I forgot who that person is, they're not mad at me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's my continual state. So I empathize so much with that. And he's I mean, to me, the scene in the bar where he's like. I'm here to see Natalie. And she's like, I'm Natalie. And he's like, yeah, hey, how you doing? Like, you know, he's trying to just move with the, even though he literally just walked into this bar knowing nothing except I am Leonard and my wife is dead. Like every time, that's what he remembers. I have a coaster and a suit pocket. <laughs> um, but it goes into like my larger Nolan read, which is all of his movies end up being about confidence. And very often they're about literal con men. Sure. And that's who this character ultimately turns out is revealed to be. But the kind way, of. Yeah, but the way he's able to function. He's conning himself. Right, but they right. also say he was a con artist before. Oh, yeah, right, 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 right. No, 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 no. They say Sammy Jenkins was a con artist. The whole, that. Don't they reveal that he no, was no, a con artist? No, before? Joey Pants, do you want, I'm so nerdy because I've just seen okay, this movie so okay. many fucking times. The, the real plot is Sammy Jenkins is him. Right, right. He killed his wife by yeah. giving her a diabetic overdose. But oh, the, I hope that's not it. That's terrible. That's and and but Sammy Jenkins, like right. who he it was was a con man who he rightly exposed as an insurance uh, fraud investigator. Oh, okay. Yeah, because that's what Joey Pants said. I mean, this is all just what Teddy says. Sure. Well, we don't know if it's true, but he's like Sammy Jenkins was a con man. You're the one who the story's about. Like that's you. But they talk about how I mean he uses like con man techniques in order to make it through life because he has to fake it until he makes it. He has right. to go into rooms and seem like he knows what he's talking about. And that's like the ultimate currency in a Nolan movie is speaking with authority, speaking calmly, you know, having the facts, even if they're like written down on Polaroids, he's right. able to go into rooms and until people call him out on it, seem like he understands what's happening. I don't want him to secretly be Sammy Jenkins. That's just such an unnecessary, complicated mm-hmm. plot twist that reminds me of later Nolan. Like, I know this what you movie mean, doesn't right. need that at all. To it function. doesn't need it. I mean, the idea, obviously, that Nolan's trying to drive through is like this guy is he's deluding himself, like intentionally. Well, right? I like it on that straightforward level right. that we're all lying to ourselves mm-hmm. about something. Because really, to me, what this movie is about is the quest for meaning in your life. Like, for sure, does your he, life he have has purpose? Do your actions have purpose? What do you have to do to pretend your actions have purpose? The way like I could be, you know, that that I convince myself sometimes that writing a review of an Adam Sandler movie is the greatest gift I can give the world right now, which is not true. But I'm <laughs> deluding myself that that is what gives the world meaning. Absolutely. Um, well, that's the whole like, like you know quixotic thing about his quest is that like all he wants to do is kill this guy, and if he does it, or if he did it, he won't remember it. Right. So he won't be satisfied unless he's able to do it again. But I do think what's you know, important about the end of the movie is he says like, no, I'll know if I do it. I'll like, it'll be different. Somehow. Something will change. And Teddy's like, yeah, I thought so too, but you didn't. Yeah. And like, 
it's a good reversal of this sort of ghost movie because it's like, right, his unfinished business is finished. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because he's mm-hmm. just trapped in this state anyway. I mean, how amazing if Teddy just knocked him out and then got a giant happy eagle on his chest covering up. A, like, I wish he didn't have to go into so much detail about what happened to his wife. <laughs> Raped and murdered. I know. But it's he's a like, little you much. You could just say, like, you're revenging your wife. He just said, you're happy now. Yeah. <laughs> and every morning he looked in the mirror and went, oh, OK, I'm happy now. Right, but that's isn't that it's like that's not possible, right? I mean, like that's got enough money and you got a good <laughs> tattoo artist. Sure, he's got a trunk with uh, two hundred grand. I love that he's driving around in a tr- with two hundred grand in his trunk and he doesn't even know it. This is such a funny character. Like when you remove this him from I'm the saying. context like, of this movie, if you the movie is so bound to his perspective necessarily, obviously, because yeah. I mean, one thing also that's fun about the movie is when you're watching every scene, you're like, this has to wrap in a few minutes, like because they can't go they can't too keep long, going. Yeah. which I think is like works well. And then when you finally see like the handoff, like Teddy going like Lenny, you're like, oh, I've seen this. And then it, like that's always like a little like endorphin rush where you're like, oh, they did another. They did it again. Um, Which the Lenny thing also falls into like that, like how people view movies like he's doing a bad performance. Like Lenny is putting too much like spin on the like, hey, buddy, how you doing? You mean Teddy. You mean Teddy. Teddy, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Teddy is doing that too much. Right, right, right. But um, that's how like in movies and shitty movies, especially as shorthand, we get like oh, I guess these people are friends. Because <laughs> a character's introduced and the first well, scene they go like, hey buddy, how'd that fucking thing go? I also, you go like, oh, they've known each other before. I also like that when he explains his memory condition for the first time in the movie, he's explaining it to Mark Boone Jr. Yeah. who plays the hotel clerk. So well cast. And you know, especially once you're rewatching it, like, oh, this guy's heard this like 10 times. He just gets a kick out of the fact that he genuinely does. He genuinely is like explaining it for the first time. And everyone in the movie keeps on testing him in the way that like his wife tested him. If you believe that story, Carrie Moss. But like, right, that's the the thing, right? No one can really buy it. They're like, come on, this can't be real. Like that you don't know who. Because there are actual people like that. Yes, it's a real condition. It is a real condition. You know, what's interesting to me, too, is the way that. Um, you see these signs of use, you know, the, the, that you know the car has Jaguar is like filthy. Right. And how did it get filthy? Where right. did the dust come from? And I like that idea of trying to like backdate it mm-hmm. and try to figure out where it all happened from. And the scratches on his face. And then when, you, and the scratches, and then when yeah. you realize he's walking into a bar dressed like the drug dealer and everyone's like, what is happening? Right. And she like, goes, you can't walk into a bar wearing that suit. You right. think it's a general comment about the suit being too nice for that place. And that's it's the like, thing with Dodd too, where Dodd's like, you can, what are you doing driving this car? You know, but anyway, sorry, carry on. We, Oh, but just like the way the way things these like habitual things become so familiar to us that don't become familiar to him, like the car alarm. Mm-hmm. For some reason, the car alarm always pops out to me uh-huh. because you just keep hearing that security thing, that beep, 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 right. beep, beep, beep. And he builds in patterns into the movie that make this world feel very familiar to us. It's like the only thing that feels grounding in a way. Mm-hmm. You're right. And like, right. Part of the idea is he's like, um, you know, he he survives by creating these like like Pavlovian things that he can like instantly be like, Oh yeah, I know. I like, this is my room. I get that. It's my room. Cause my, my, all my weird Polaroids are in here. I mean, and you never know by the end of the movie, how many rooms he actually has at this end. Right. You never yeah. know. You never right. know if it's three or four or seven. Um, so yeah. And we, you know, we should say like cross cutting between the backwards chronology of the film are these forwards running black and white scenes that are much shorter of him on the phone Which, to Teddy for him to do it in black and white. It's such a simple thing and talk yeah. about like not having the money to do anything crazy, but just like, okay, you just want to be able to track this story in pieces. Right. So anytime the movie's black and white, your brain can go like, okay, right back to that. Narrative. And he's wearing like a flannel shirt. He's like, kind of like country Leonard like before he became city Leonard. And, uh, and, uh, he's talking to Teddy on the phone and the score is like this weird, like ticking noise, which I also think is crucial seen this movie too many times I, I had it on vhs i watched it all the time 
I once lost a babysitting contract because I showed it to a kid who was too young to see it. He wasn't that young. He was like 12. That shouldn't couldn't, be too young. Yeah, that's not it. too young. Well, he, he freaked out. Look, like, look, this is all, you know, he didn't like it. I mean, well, he didn't freak out in front of me, but later he complained to his parents. That time was going backwards? <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, they and that he had become unstuck in time. Because yeah. it's not a thing where you'd be worried that there's somebody living under your bed. I mean, maybe I somebody hiding in your car. I mean, it opens with a scene of violence that I guess is sort of nightmarish, like the blood rushing back into it. But like, apart from that, it's not really a very, it's kind of a weirdly chaste movie. I guess the people, they're, they're sort of, they're swearing and stuff. Yeah, but Nolan like, doesn't like Haven't skits. 12-year-olds just seen so much blood already? Hey, man, look. this Maybe he was an innocent 12-year-old. Well, let's maybe call they were it just out, looking David. for an excuse. To yeah, David, no. Maybe the, he hated The me, real right. reason they got angry at you is because they walked in their kid in the shower and he had a bunch of tattoos that said, history paper due on Thursday. <laughs> right. That, he learned all the <laughs> wrong lessons. Take out the garbage. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> so, so Lenny... Don't yell at your mom. Lenny is looking for John G. Yeah. Uh, That's all he knows. Of his wife. The guy's name's John G. He was maybe a drug dealer. License He's a plate. white male. Right. And then he's got this license plate. Right. And yeah. we know that he has killed Teddy. Yeah. Like to start the movie. But as the movie goes on, I feel like we are sort of more and more thinking like, I don't think Teddy's the guy. Like, right? This doesn't make sense. Because why would his killer. Yeah. Or his wife's killer. Like hang out with him all the time. So much. Do you think. Do you think Teddy had to like put a lot of work into making sure he never accidentally went after John Goodman? Because they're in Nevada, like they're close enough to Goodman. Where do you think John Goodman lives? Oh, he lives in New Orleans, right? Yeah. Is he, is he a Louisiana like yeah. he was in Treme? He takes it easy. That's why he was on Treme because he was like, I can roll out of bed. <laughs> is that what he was yeah, like? Ba <laughs> uh, and in the so I guess he kills Teddy. And then before that, there's the sort of like, if I'm going backwards, you know, there's like the Natalie yeah. stuff. Sure. No, no. Before that, there's Dodd, right? Natalie kind of has her section in the middle no, of the no, movie. No, no. Before yeah. that is Dodd, where he like wakes up in a hotel room and there's a guy he's like tied up in his closet. Yeah. Played by Callum Keith Rennie. And then, and then you go back to Natalie and you realize like, oh, she sicked him on this guy. Mm-hmm. Sort of. Kind of, sort of. Kind of, sort of. Not really. It's more like Dodd just goes after him because he he's obviously stolen the drug dealer's car and c- clothes. Right. And, right? I mean. But she convinces him. I mean, she. She convinces him that Dodd beat her up. When, in fact, she fucked with him. Leonard she, he until he up, punched her. Right? right. He punched her. Yeah. Uh, what do you make of that? Scene? I feel like that was a that was a crux scene in the movie in general. Uh, the the uh, the Natalie reversal uh you know yeah i mean because we want to empathize with her so much when we right. see her kiss him and say like you'll remember this you know, she becomes that right. tell where you wish that it was sincere and she like she's the one who sort of unveils him in the mirror so we f- see all his tattoos in full i've never totally understood so is her main play just she's trying to get revenge on yeah. him for killing her boyfriend? I think so, but I don't know. It's not like, and it's sort of the problem of many a Nolan character. Right. They're like, they're more, they're plot function first and a character second. Well, he yeah. just likes brunette women with beautiful eyes who are fucking with people. It's true. Yeah. She is a proto Marion Cotillard for him, right? Like, yeah. uh, and then before that, I guess I'm trying to remember, like. What else happens? Not much else happens. I guess it's just. Well, we should. I guess we should talk about the Sammy Jenkins story a little bit. Sammy Jenkins. I'm sorry. Played by Stephen Tobolowsky. And Thomas Lennon plays his uh, his doctor, right? And uh, Harriet Simpson Harris, who's a great actress, great like character actress. She's the uh, the wife, Mrs. Jenkins. 
Isn't it true that Stephen Tobolowski used to have amnesia? That an accident happened to him. That sounds like something because I, I feel heard like something like that. I mean, not just because he seems very interested in these roles. He does this in Groundhog's Day. Oh, that's true, right? Roles where he is like yeah. a specter. And <laughs> like Garfield, pop- the movie too, he plays a similar function. <laughs> I don't know. I also feel like Stephen Tobolowski because he has like the podcast where he tells all these like crazy stories from his life. That does sort of sound like something. I don't know. Uh, Unless you think he's making it up. I mean, can maybe, we trust him? Like, yeah, do you have maybe, a tattoo on your body? Do not trust Stephen Tobolowski. Well, that's the key to the Tobolowski files is that he's an unreliable narrator. Um, but I, I, so I guess the fun of the movie is just all, like you see on Natalie's picture that something's been crossed out and written under it. Uh-huh. Right. You like you just want to see how all these things fall into place. Like he right. takes great care in making sure every little clue gets sort of its own little answer. And I guess that's why people responded to the movie so well. I don't know. They're like, I know what was written on that. I am a genius. <laughs> And this is where, right, the criticism comes from where he's like, you know, the somewhat patronizing criticism of like you, you're, he's just holding your hand through the whole thing. He's a trick. But I don't think that's fair either. I think. But when people write themselves that big of a check and they're able to cash it. Right. You know, just narratively, like making a really complicated plot. I mean, that's, it's the same thing that gave uh, M. Night Shyamalan his blank check. You know, it's like. Right. You're impressed at the the parlor stretch. Yes, it's true. Same period. Exact same period. And it's like you can't pull that off by accident. Whether or not you can repeat that, whether or not you can grow that and evolve that into something else, you can't make that kind of movie by accident. Right, because people like Ebert thought that Memento was a movie you should only watch once, maybe twice, and then it didn't get any better than that. But you're, David, clearly like proving that wrong. Well, I really liked the movie. I was a teenager, and I was just someone who watched as many movies as I could. But it was, you know, this is a pre-Netflix era, my yeah. teenagehood. Yeah. And so I did watch it over and over again. I did enjoy it. But it was also one of those movies that when you know when you're a teenager, you like showing other people movies. So I would like, yeah, like like to my friends, I'd be like, oh, you should watch this. Right. Yeah, cool. there Garfield was a thing the when you had yeah. stuff on tape where it was almost like trading underground records or exactly. something. Like you had a special thing. Right. And you'd be like, come over and see this thing. You wouldn't just be like, oh, you should stream that someday. It, you made it like a social event. Yeah. And the other movie was Clueless that I would try and make everyone watch because all the British boys were like, I don't, I don't want to watch that. That's like, that's not for boys. And I would have said, no, no, it's good. It's good. You're going to get you it. You boys get so limited. Thank you for making them watch it. I, I, that's one of my favorite movies. That's, one of, it's, that's the movie I've seen the most is Clueless. Did it, did it seem alien to them? Like, yes. was British I had to explain so enough? many jokes. Yeah, like, right. I had to explain, like, what Cliff's notes were. Because that's a great joke in, uh, in Clueless when she writes, like, a little love letter for the teachers. And Dion's like, that's a beautiful quote. Where'd you get that? And she's like, Cliff's notes. And no British person understands that. So I always had to like pause and be like, let me explain what Cliff's Notes is. And meanwhile, they're like, we just hit each other with sticks in recess. <laughs> A more together. You hit the sticks together. So you were like the annotated Clueless. Oh, God, I love Clueless. You were like it's, the Cliff Notes of American comedies. A yeah. little bit. Yeah. But I, I was like an American. Right. I tried to explain what America really was to these people. And they like, like his, Clueless. This is basically a documentary of right, American this is life. American life. Because they, you know, like the most common thing that kids would do to me all the time would to be to to pinch my nose and say, now you can't talk. Because in Britain, the joke was like Americans talk through their nose. 
Oh, really? Because we have nasal voices. That's what the, are they the, talking about? Be like, oh, you can't talk anymore, can you? Like that—that that was a, a joke that multiple people did to me. Isn't that, that strange? Sucks. I've never heard of that. Can you still talk? I'm like testing of it out. Of course, you can still talk. Yeah. This is me talking with my nose pitch. Right. I feel like I, we all pretty much sound but, the same. Um, but to British people, Americans, they have like such a you know nasal voice, like that they that they thought we just talked out. Where noses. do they talk from? I don't know. That's a good point. <laughs> Stinky butthole. I remember. I, this is. Well, I don't know why this is David's memory lane, but I remember when I was ten years old. You know, kids in Britain call each other bastards all the time, like bastards. Yeah, sure. For some reason, that was, and I remember trying, like, trying it out and saying it wrong, saying bastard, and everyone laughing at me, like, because I didn't know I was going to say it wrong. Look, this is a movie about memory. <laughs> We're relating our own experiences Wasn't to those of Leonard Shelby. Wasn't you pointed out that one Nolan has a British accent and the other one doesn't? We talked about this. I think we might talk about it next week or no? Did we talk about it on the following episode? We Can't figured remember. out why. Huh? They I think it was up, the following episode. They grew up episode. separately. Their parents they were grew divorced. Up separately. And one grew up in Chicago, one grew up in London. So it's like the parent trap. Mm-hmm. And then, right. And then they did a parent trap and they got back together. But no, yeah, they grew up. He grew up in Chicago. And of course, as we mentioned on the following episode, Christopher had an older brother who was a con artist who was sent to prison. And nobody, I feel like nobody knows that, but it, it is interesting to hear about it's in the, the context of his work. Because it's like what he's obsessed with. He he's so obsessed many movies with, about con artists. But his mom make, lived. His mom didn't get murdered, right? No, I, think, okay, I don't good. think he has any like women haunting him or anything like that. And he should. But it's just funny when you... <laughs> <laughs> Would you haunt Christopher Nolan? No, he seems tedious. I can think I of much, I'd rather, yeah, yeah, let me haunt Michael Shannon. <laughs> ben, what's your take? You said you had a take on this movie. Oh, you said it was really smart and good. I just wanted to get to that before we oh, uh, yeah, yeah. wrap things up. Um, I've been here. Check out this Polaroid. See if that jogs anything. Oh, thanks. Okay. Yeah, right. Uh, um, so this movie is like a term paper. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. It's so like hard to follow. <laughs> Uh-huh. It, like, I felt like I had to work at it. Had you seen it before or was this it? <laughs> yeah, I'd seen it, but... I don't know. I don't retain any of it. So it's fine. It's just like, I'm like, what? why make it so confusing? You just wish it was just straight shot. So this start is, to this finish. This is my thing. Make movies easier to follow. <laughs> Great. Thank you, Ben. Copy, paste, add a fucking montage, make it sexy. You got a movie. Make it sexy. Ben's favorite movie is Fletch. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's going to happen. He's going to save the day and get the girl. Well, because he's working overtime. I work overtime. Just working overtime. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. You just looked. You sort of looked around the room. Well, he doesn't remember where he is. What? Uh, <laughs> oh, your producer, Ben, record oh, the podcast. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I can't remember what I was going to say. He kills Jimmy Grant's at the end of the movie. Yeah. And then he sets himself on this path. That's that's the right thing. That that's he's, the prestige. That he's going to kill uh, Teddy this time. Yeah. He decides like he writes, "Don't believe his lies," and that's like he's like creating like a little wrench in his like you know machine that's going to eventually resolve with the murder of Teddy. Which I kind of, I find the ending oddly optimistic because I mean, A, yes, he's giving himself another, like, false flag to murder, but B, it's also like if he murders Teddy, he's freed of this guy who's forcing him to murder other people. You're right. You're right. Like, you don't think Carrie Ann Moss is going to go find him in, like, 20 minutes later? He's going to be like, oh, here's this coaster. I should well, go meet Carrie that's why Carrie we need Ann to see Tumento. That's why he needs to go back to the well. You memento? Yeah, you're right. But that's better. Five memento, yeah, points. that's much better. That's Jesus, much better. Your, your fucking face is red right now, Griffin. I'm really angry at myself. Um, 
no, but I, I, I find the end of the movie when he commits this murder, right? And immediately realizes like, oh, fuck, I, this isn't the guy. Uh, and then he confronts Teddy and Teddy says all this stuff. And then in response, he throws Teddy's, Teddy's keys into like some rushes. Like, and Teddy, Joe Pantoliano, who's wonderful, he's so good at pathetically looking for those keys. He's looking for those keys for like 10 minutes while, you know, Leonard's just sitting there having this whole internal monologue about like, is this true? Do I do this to myself? Teddy is rifling around for those keys. Teddy, go look for those keys. I got to do some voiceover. If I'm looking for those keys, you'd be like, you wouldn't buy it. You'd be like, hey. The keys are right there. He would have seen the keys. Like Joey Pants can make himself so pathetic that you you really feel so bad for him. Like in this moment of his death sentence, I would argue that Joey Pants is one of the best like transformative status actors. Like he's really good at within a movie going from high status to low uh-huh. status and selling both. Even though he's kind of a guy who's like right in the middle, you know, he doesn't seem particularly pathetic or particularly impressive. But like, there's so many movies like. Uh, Midnight Run's another one mm. where it starts out and it's like, oh, he's got like fucking De Niro by the balls. And at the end of the movie, De Niro's just like, fuck you. And you're like, this guy sucks. That's my hot take on Midnight Run. Do, do you want to know some fun facts about Joey Pants? Yeah. Uh, he runs a um, nonprofit uh, called No Kidding Me Too about uh, depression uh, in the, for, for actors who have depression. Uh, because he says anytime he says that to another actor, like, oh, I've suffered from clinical depression. They go, no kidding, me too. So that's what it's called. Isn't that so cute? That's beautiful. It's, he's really a wonderful sweet. man. That sounds like a great sequel to Memento. Should Memento just be called No Kidding Me Too? <laughs> no kidding, me too. <laughs> no kidding, Memento. <laughs> Do you think it's his most, I mean, I guess The Matrix is his most yeah. famous. And then Sopranos. And Right, and then this and the Midnight Run. And then L.A. Confidential. Well, I the mean, dude. The Fugitive. Right, yeah, he's, he's got, got the, the dude. dude. How do you feel about Joey Pants? We have, we've praised Joey Pants. We love You've him. You've praised him. He's so praised. Yeah. Like, he's like Joey Tuxedo now. Uh, <laughs> can, we, can we talk about Carrie Ann Moss a little bit? Because it's We talked weird. about her. But just, it's weird that she has Matrix, mm-hmm. then this, then and there was two like, Matrix sequels. She, she got legit Oscar buzz because this movie was... Sort of an underground like sleeper hit, and I think she is really good in this. I mean, those scenes are complicated. Yeah, she actually really pulls them off. She was yeah. in Chocolat this the year before oh, as right. well, which she also plays an abused wife in that. I think she she doesn't have much to do. And then she had like a couple failed like Red Planet. Yeah, she's in Red Planet. It was sort of weird that she never got her own vehicle. I wonder if like Angelina Jolie just ascended and took mm. over the dark haired, green eyed, like femme fatale. Like and, she just kind of supplanted her and, and then Jolie got all the roles. kind of unsurprising, surprisingly made the detour into action movies. When she seemed a little more highbrow, Carrie Ann Moss probably would have been a yeah, Laura Croft. She could have been in, yeah, wanted or Laura Croft. Exactly. She'd be perfect for that. The other thing is, I mean, she was 32 when the Matrix hit. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, Hollywood is not a very nice industry to women who hit in their mid 30s. Yeah. Like, you know, and there's so, also like Linda Fiorentino at this time too. Oh like man. there's a lot of competition for this niche. And that's the kind of movie we, because weren't we talking about John Dahl like last week? We were week? saying that like Christopher Nolan with following Memento and Insomnia. It's like, like, oh, like he he's was the gonna noir be guy. The best version of John Dahl. John like Dahl that's what he was going to do. Seduction. And he was going to do like, you know, good mid-budget studio, fine cast neo-noirs and when he and it's the same thing with brian singer honestly like yeah. public access usual suspect app people it's like oh right yeah here That's this guy's gonna make these like hard-boiled 90s r-rated right. movies and then somehow christopher mccrory just ended up making them forever and i wish yeah. he would stop what do you, what would you want what do you want mr mccrory to do 
I don't need him to do really anything. Mm-hmm. I'm fine if he doesn't do anything. He just chills out. Yeah, he can just relax. He can just uh, take his usual suspect's money and just go like limp off and he, be fine. He's Tom's guy now. He's, I know, he's it's in a shame. the he's on the mummy. Uh, he's killing Tom's career. I feel like I really do. I mean, See, I like these. I like the Macquarie. I like the movies where Macquarie's got a strong hand in. I like Rogue Nation. I like Edge of Tomorrow. I like the first Jack Reacher. My theory is Cruz felt so betrayed and isolated after 2005 that he just wanted to trust someone and he just latched on to McQuarrie and he won't let it go. Because before then, Cruz barely ever worked with the same director twice. I know. And I think Lyman is that guy for Cruz too. He trusts him too. And I think he's trusting the wrong people. Well, I mean, I think it's more like you say, it's a trust issue in general. He needs to go back to how he was in the 90s where it's like, you are a great director. I am Tom Cruise. I respect great art. Use me. Uh, which he was almost like too forceful about, but still, like he but really he was like, I worship at the altar of you, oh Stanley Kubrick, oh you know whoever. Yeah, Paul Thomas Anderson. Paul I Thomas saw your Anderson, first film. Right. You're gonna make something great. Put me in it. And so, like, what do you want me to do? Okay, I'll do it. Sounds weird, but okay, I'll do it. And now he doesn't do that anymore. I know. Like, what we should do is take Polaroids of Christopher McQuarrie and Doug Lyman and write, Don't "Do not trust this these men," and just put them in his pocket. And and the Scientology guy. Um, Have we already talked about how it'd be interesting to see Tom Cruise do a Christopher Nolan movie? Well, I mean, my opinion with Nolan in general is I'd like to see X star do a Christopher Nolan movie because he's pretty good with stars. Like, I'd like to see a Clooney Nolan movie. Like, uh, but that's almost more a complaint about how movie stars don't get to make fun movies anymore. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I feel like that's sort of what we really mean by that. So I had this thought watching it this time that, you know, we had talked about these first three Nolan movies as this little neo-noir trilogy that then he diverted from so much. And we we recorded our Insomnia episode before this episode just because of scheduling yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, so I rewatched this after rewatching Insomnia. And I was just like, God, the leap from this to Batman is so weird that, like, he transitioned so well that they would give him the job, that they could see how he would apply the style. But, like, there's, I think, a cleaner, shorter line between this and Batman because this movie does feel very, like, 90s comic booky to me in a certain way. Mm. Like, it feels like a Vertigo miniseries. Sure, of, like, like Ed Brubaker. Right. Like, here's a weird, high-concept, like, noir thing, mm-hmm. you know, with, like, these grimy well, archetypal high characters. Yes. Yeah, that's why, that maybe that's why. And there's something very pulpy about it. Yeah. You know? In how he does have almost this weird superpower, and everyone sort of talks about it. Like, it's a burden. Memory guy. Right, but he's memory guy. Like... It does feel like it could be a Vertigo title or he could be like a marginal villain that Batman fought for like four issues in 1987. Oh, yeah. The guy that Batman keeps fighting and then he just keeps coming after him because he didn't know that he already fought him and lost. <laughs> the problem is Batman. the guy doesn't know he's been defeated. <laughs> Your crimes will not be. You, know. you can't beat someone who has no shame because they don't remember being that's embarrassed. That's what he is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what other? Uh, I feel like we're wrapping up, but like what if you took some notes, is there anything else, Amy, that you want to point out? I mean, just this idea that I think we are very gullible as audience members, which I think we've kind of been touching on a little Mm -hmm. bit, but to me, that's just this main thing I love is like, I think we have a tendency to sit down in the theater and believe everything we're told about everybody. We're not cynical in the theater. You know, I think it's like like going to a magic show. You kind of need to be not cynical. Exactly. Exactly. And so I like the feeling of being taken advantage of Mm -hmm. in this way. In the way where it reminds me not to be so naive about everything I see at the theater. You, you should watch Prestige. I think that's the other Nolan like the movie that functions I agree. in this way. I should way. see it, but we spend our lives watching new garbage. I never have a chance to watch old garbage. Um, our old classics. Old hey. Classics. No, but uh, wait, wait. I mean, so are you, because I'm like this, like when I'm seeing a murder mystery or whatever, some movie, I, I never like try too hard to figure it out. I'm always just like, it'll, it'll like, it'll wash over me soon enough, right? Like. 
I feel like some people go into the movie thinking like, I'm going to solve this movie while it's happening. Which is why I think a lot of people like Nolan movies because people yeah. want to feel like they like won. You're right, but no, I'm like you. I don't actually try to guess. I mean, I get yeah. annoyed. You sort of think right away, oh, I hope easy. it's not that right. guy. Right. And then if it is that guy, I'm mad. But I'm not busy doing it. Mm -hmm. I'm more concentrating on everything else. Movies should be Agreed. experiential. Yeah. Do you Especially guys watch him want to play time. the box office game? So we do a game where I try to guess the box office the week the movie came out. This is a weird one. This is a weird one. Uh, my my father and I read the box office uh, every Monday when it came out because he was obsessed with sports stats. And that's how he bonded with my brother and I hit sports. So this, I have all this stuff burned into my memory forever because it was the only way I could build a bridge emotionally to my father. Oh, wow, that sounds, sounds like, very dolan Yeah, Chris yep. Malone should make a movie about you. Yeah. Um, Father's a great man. So this film came out, it, we should say it was a hit at Sundance, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so that was where it sort of got buzzed and it comes, it had been a hit overseas, comes out March 16th, 2001, right after the Oscars or right before, right in the Oscar season okay. of last year. Yeah. It makes 25 million uh, domestic, 39 worldwide, which is very nice for- uh, Would have been like 40 something adjusted, I think. Uh, sure. And um, it opens number 27 on 11 screens, makes $230,000. So it's not in the top five. So number one, okay. March 16th, 2001, which is like, that's great for the box office game because there's no good movies. Yeah, right. Because summer 2001 is very, very big to me. But this is right before we have the Shrekening, right before the mummy returns, right um, before Dr. Doolittle 2 knocks on our door. The so, Fast and the Furious. So num number one is an action movie, an R-rated action movie starring like a washed up, action star of an earlier era and Exit a rapper. Wins? Yes. Got it before I even said and a rapper. Because I remember it being so weird. It was a big, uh, nice opening weekend, 18 mil. Well, and like Steven Seagal's slump happened like his last successful movie before Exit Wounds was before I started tracking the box office. Uh -huh. So when out of nowhere he had like a $20 million opener, I was right. like, since when does like Steven Seagal make money? My dad was like like 10 years ago. Let's Steven not talk Seagal about and... Uh, DMX. Yeah, I saw the movie in theaters. I have never seen it. Have you seen Exit Wound? God, no. Uh, it is on Box Office Mojo's. It's the fourth highest dirty cop movie behind LA Confidential, Training Day, and The Departed. It's got two comic relief characters in it. One of them is Tom Arnold. The other one is Anthony Anderson. The only thing I remember that movie is the last scene is clearly them being like, oh, these two guys are funny. Let's add a scene for the end credits of them talking. And it's just Tom Arnold and Anthony Anderson talking about jerking off oh, number one at the domestic box office Eva Mendes is also in it apparently I don't know I don't remember that but sure number two was at the time one of the most expensive European films ever made it's a war movie I saw this in theaters it's not Joan it's of Arc stars, right? no it stars two very pretty British actors and one very pretty British actor. Enemy at the Gates starring uh, uh, what it's Jude Law yep and fuck, the other one is, is it it's, Ray, it's, it's uh, Joseph Fiennes? Joseph Fiennes. And Rachel Weisz and, right. and Jean-Jacques Noe directed that? Uh, yes, and Ed Harris is in it as well. It's about the Battle of Stalingrad. Have you seen that movie? No. Yeah, it's a bad movie. I didn't get to see a lot of movies this semester. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I remember they, I don't mean to uh No, I'm just like, I feel very momentum in my daily life, as I said, and I have, I have a very hard time remembering movies I've even seen. He's and so opposite. I'm impressed by this. This is this is really knocking. I me think out. there's a sex scene in the gates where there's like, a there is a in the quite trenches a when all these other scene. soldiers are sleeping around him, and it's like that's just kind of rude. Yeah, where they're like having sex in like a muddy trench, like three weeks into the Battle of. Because she's like disguised as a man. Yes, right? and you're yeah. like, like I get it. Like you know, you, you, you guys like each other, but this this seems un, un, we're all unsafe. Dying here. Right? Yeah. yeah. 
They're snipers. Yeah. Uh, all right. Number three is was number one the week before. Okay. It's a comedy drama, sort of sort of a crime comedy, uh, starring two huge movie stars who don't spend much time together on screen. Oh, the Mexican. The Mexican. Julia this is Roberts. Absurd. This is what he does. Yeah. Julia Roberts and Brad Pitt. I think some people Agor now. Verbinski. Wonder if I'm like looking at the answers. When I no, do I'm this. looking at the answers. I can vouch that you are looking at nothing. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My brain is stupid. I saw the Mexican for my 15th birthday party. Oh, congratulations. Britain. I remember that. Uh, I'm, yeah, Gorbinski. I haven't seen it since theaters. I, I remember it being kind of good. I saw it on an airplane. I think it's kind of solid. People Gandolfini. At the time were re- Gandolfini's really, really good. good in it. People were angry that Brad Pitt and Julia Roberts have you seen the Mexican? in it together at all. Nope. nope. They have like one scene together and it was sold as like the two pretty people together. Yeah, they only have a scene together at the end. Uh, yeah. So number four is a, a dog movie that I've never heard of. Like never heard of. It's not C-Spot Run. It is it? C-Spot Run. <laughs> oh, That's crazy. So what is that? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it's made $24 million in three weeks. It's doing just fine. It's a David Arquette family comedy. David Arquette. Oh. It's a David Arquette vehicle with him and a dog. I think You know, he- we're nostalgic for old, like, you know, like the uh, Hollywood of our childhood. No, but Jesus, David the Arquette no, dog vehicles. Yeah. It's a David Arquette. I remember the posters, David Arquette on top of like a dog. No, no, like no. A, the dog, David Arquette's oh, in, in the, the dog carrier. carrier. The dog's on top. C-Spot run. I think he's got to protect the dog for some reason. I think it's like someone important's dog and the dog. It's kind of like a, <laughs> did a, you see a Marmaduke movie? type. I did not. But uh-huh. this is what I remember distinctly about the movie. It's a Warner Brothers picture. And they put the first trailer for Harry Potter in front of it. Oh, sure. So the box office was boosted because this was still in the era, like you were talking about with Insomnia uh, and the Attack of the Clones trailer. Right. Or not Insomnia. Yeah, what was Ice it? Age. Ice, Ice Age. Ice Age with the Attack of the Clones trailer. Yeah. Where if you were like, you know, you want to see the Harry Potter trailer, you got to go see this dumb David Arquette dog movie. And opening weekend, it made like $12 million because there you go. all these parents had to take their kids to it. Are there things in your brain that you don't have room for because you've made room for this? Almost. Oh, Anything else? <laughs> <laughs> How to be a functioning person. Yeah. My uh, past and future <laughs> guest and my friend Sam Rogal uh, has said, uh, it was like, the I think the most real moment that's ever happened on our show. You and Sam were talking about me while I was in the studio. Right. And you both said like, yeah, sometimes I just wonder how you make it through the day. <laughs> how do you like fry an egg? I just sometimes I'm standing around. And I wonder how you do this. All right, I uh, don't know anything other than this. Uh, yeah, Sam Rogal's banned from the show, no, as we know. No, I'll uh, be back. Uh, number five, fifty. Oh, well, now what is it? I almost said it. It's a crime thriller. Number five at the box office. I almost said the name. It starts it's the first with time 50? I've ever done that. No, it starts with fifth. Fifth. It's a crime crime thriller starring a major, you know, a big actor and. Uh, Someone we make fun of a lot in this podcast, uh, who was, I guess, a pretty boy of the moment. Uh, Jesus, it's such an irrelevant movie. And it starts with fifth? Yeah, it starts with fifth. Fifth, 15 minutes yes. with Ed Burns and Robert De Niro. I gave that one away. I feel bad. Okay. Yeah. Uh, never seen. No, neither have I. No, don't know anything about that. So We, uh, we rag on Ed Burns a lot. We Ed Burns, yeah. Uh, Crouching His character t- in the Saving Private Ryan is from Brooklyn. <laughs> I don't know if you know that. It's yeah. subtle. That's it's kind of sub. That's like a uh, trivia piece of. Uh, so you know that Ed Burns' brother wrote Daddy's Home? I didn't. I watched Daddy's Home because Sophia Coppola. You're a big Daddy's Home fan. I feel like Amy's the biggest Daddy's Home fan I know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is that whoa, true? Whoa. I mean, I think it's a really solid film, but I'm also a John Cena girl. So when he shows up in the end, mm. I'm in love with this movie. I That's... think John Cena is the untapped comic resource of the modern era. 
and I'm ready to retire The Rock and switch totally over to Cena. Wow. I think Cena's better than The Rock. I think Cena's great. Uh, uh, no, I, I just feel like you're the only one who I read like really saying like, we need to appreciate that. Well, and then home. Sophia Coppola said do? it was one of the 10 best movies of the 21st century. Did I, you not see that I did in the New York that. Times? Did she did? Yeah. She said it was one of her 10 picks she, for the she, day. With the caveat that she watches it all the time with her kids. But uh, yeah. but nonetheless, she does I feel very it. vindicated by I, that. I was very pleasantly surprised by it. I remember the trailers being garbage, and I watched it, and I think it's a good character comedy. Like, it's actually good, like, character-based. There you go. They just put the couple of dumb, like, slapsticky scenes in the trailer so it looked really broad. It's true, and like I didn't know Hannibal Buress that well before it's I saw so that film. He's amazing. He comes in, and I'm just like, I am in love with that. Thomas Hayden Church is really good in it. There's that one scene where he yells after Hannibal Buress, and he's like, no, I'm still here. And then they spend this scene going like, oh, man, I was going to run after you, and I was going to say this. And uh -huh, Thomas Hayden Church right, is like, right. why don't you just do it anyway? <laughs> he's like, well, I don't know. It feels forced now. I've already explained. <laughs> they spend three minutes deconstructing the scene they don't do, and I'm like, this is a weird gag for like, a right. family comedy. All right, I'm I'm cutting you off. Good uh, movie, Daddy's Home. Just some other movies. Uh, Crouching Tiger. That's in the top ten still. Okay. Down to what's Earth. it up to at that point? Uh, it's up to 100 million dollars. Crazy, exactly. Which is crazy when you think about Insane. it. Insane. Uh, Down to Earth, the Chris Rock, uh, Just Like Heaven remake Chris or Rock's whatever. It's not Just Like Heaven. Best uh, movie. Heaven can wait. I guess so. Probably I don't know. by default. I need to rewatch right? them. I did see that one. Uh, Hannibal. Ridley Scott's Hannibal. Yeah. Uh, Chocolat. Yeah. Lassie Hellstrom, Chocolat, uh, Steven Soderbergh's Traffic. So a lot of the like Oscar yeah. holdovers, I guess. This are is when Oscar out. movies didn't come out on DVD. Like Cast Away. After the Oscars, when yeah. they would like start to really boom at the box office post ceremony. But yeah, yeah. And, and then Memento had a very nice long run. It was in theaters all the way through September, uh, starting in March, you know, so it was like a real word of mouth hit. And it was always hovering and like the, it only goes into the top 10 like for two weeks, but it's always sort yeah. of hovering around there. Uh, kind of movie that doesn't really happen anymore. It was an it movie, and he became the it director. Yeah. He was the kid everyone was talking Thanks about. Thanks for coming by, Amy. Thank you so much. Dude, up, I'm man. glad that we could sit around and talk about this movie. Maybe someday he'll make another one like this. Maybe he Maybe. will. I don't know. I don't know. And we said in our Insomnia episode, like, I'm excited right? to see Dunkirk, but when I heard he was making a war movie, I was like, right, okay, another of the like big genres. Like, can't you, can't you be like, I'm making, can't he do Ridley Scott and do a movie about Rid, uh, Russell Crowe just drinking wine? I was going to say. You know, like, I love how Ridley Scott in between, like, Kingdom of Heaven and Robin Hood and all. He's like, I, we should just do this movie where Russell Crowe just drinks wine in, like, a French yeah. villa. Yeah. <laughs> like, nothing happens. They should happens. do this thing where they assign directors to two picture deals for, like, 180 million. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you can split this up however you want. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah. You want to do two nineties or do you want to do like a one fifty and a thirty? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. A, yeah, I would yeah, yeah. love, I love that, that idea. Right. I, I, I love agree, that but then you get the book of Henry sometimes, you know. <laughs> We're about to record a book of Henry. You'll have heard it at this point. All right. It's an emergency episode. But well, let's, we, we let's, say in our insomnia episode, I mean Christopher Nolan seems more likely to be able to go back and do a smaller movie creatively than a lot of other directors would sure. at his I mean level. he could do whatever he wanted. You know? Right. I mean, I don't know. I think he I think uh, obviously he could do whatever he wanted, but it seems like he might actually choose to do that at some point. I hope. I would hope so. I mean, imagine spending money gets boring after a while. Like, he's bought himself all Everything. the toys he ever wanted. Yeah. So what else does he need to do? That's a good point. Yeah. Are there any Nolan movies in the canon? Uh, I think we voted Inception down, mm -hmm. and then I have not put another one forth. You never did a Dark Knight episode? I haven't done a Batman. Yeah, we have not done a Dark Knight Batman the, the episode. to at you? I mean, I like the Dark Knight, actually. Like, I remember watching the Dark Knight at a press screening and then going home and watching the original Batman, the very, very first one the with Burton Jack one. Nicholson. Mm -hmm. And suddenly feeling embarrassed of Jack Nicholson's Batman, a Batman I that I had loved so much, and then feeling bad that I felt embarrassed for it, 
and having that sense of what is it like for an actor to think you did something definitive and then somebody just comes along and embarrasses you. It it was it was almost like watching Jack Nicholson do it again with his pants off. It felt really <laughs> terrible. But it's it's funny to watch old superhero and supervillain performances where you're like, oh, right. They were just kind of like, does this work? You know, and then it's getting refined and it's getting come at from different angles. As, exactly. As and then they, the truth is, like, I'd almost rather watch that now, I think, than another sure. like yeah. dark and twisted sure, superhero sure. movie, which yeah, is it why comes I like waves. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like Wonder Woman is the first Superman all over again. And yes. that's great to yes. just see it cheerful and big and happy, like happy, like innocent. No, I agree. And, and, and it feels like a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Right. She doesn't have to have a dead wife. Right. I mean, look, Amy, you got lucky, actually, because usually you have to buy Jack Nicholson dinner if you want to see him play the Joker with his pants on. <laughs> Boy, I think he buys As the Karen dinner. As Moss might know. <laughs> I want to give Amy the power in that scenario. No, fair enough. I just, if She's I'm going to dinner with tab. Jack Nicholson, pick up the check, And he's picking it up. You guys are talking about my dad, you know. <laughs> just kidding, just okay. kidding. No. Father's Day dinner, I meant. It's a Father's Day dinner. Oh, man, imagine him being your dad. He has, like, a bunch of kids. He's he has a time. fashion designer named Jennifer Nicholson. Mm. There's not that many famous Nicholsons, so you take note of them. You're right. I didn't even put it together, though. Of course, Amy Nicholson, right here in our studio. Right here, right daughter here. of Jack. Illegitimate <laughs> blonde daughter of Jack who grew up far away and looks nothing like him. What a twist! <laughs> oh, boy. We sure that Nolan would be a Nolan twist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Thanks well, for coming. Thanks for being here. here. Everybody uh, listen to the here. canon. Is there anything else you want to plug? No. Fair enough. I want to read all <laughs> your pieces. Again. Yeah, you're an excellent writer. Uh, for sure, one stay, of our finest stay, film critics for pay real. Pay attention. Follow yep. the feed. <laughs> what do you mean well, for real? Uh, nothing. Oh, no. I love Wait, this just got suddenly you, tense in a way that I can't understand. <laughs> no, no, no. Just, just, we, we love each other. Wow. And as really always. That silence just. Uh, anything else you want to say? Because he's about to do a stupid bit. <laughs> I think just bring on the stupid bring bit. Bring on the stupid bit. Wait, can I say that I like your shirt? Oh, yeah, thank you. I'm wearing a shirt that's Alfred E. Newman dressed up as Axel Rose. <laughs> I think this shirt was listed as Axel E. Newman. I like it because it's a cross-section of the two people I admire the most when I was 13. My two seventh-grade heroes were Alfred E. Newman and Axel Rose. Axel Rose. That explains how I ended in, up the In way like I did. 2000, Axel Rose was oh, your hero. Yeah. My two favorite bands in middle school were Guns N' Roses and Journey at the least cool moment to like either of those bands. Really? I got picked on equally for both of them. Wow. What a, what a, that's like that's like worse than like Weird Al being your favorite musician age. Well, I transitioned from Weird Al. He was probably my Weird favorite Al, musician at clear. eleven. Yeah. Um, Do you understand how frustrating it is to like be like obsessed with Journey and have kids throw apples at my head and call me a fucking loser? And then, and then like four years later, it like become, right? And everyone's like, "Oh, you like that song? It's like so funny, right?" And I was, like, I was there when it mattered, when they needed me, <laughs> when they really no one, yeah, was, no one was, was standing up for Steve island. Perry. I bet those people who threw apples are quietly thinking Griffin was right all along. That's what a fault. trendsetter! What a cool guy! I, I should let him know that he's the coolest, and wish, he was secretly better than all of us. Wish I still had that apple. My friend Oliver Ignatius and I at summer camp did a ribbon dance to "Don't Stop Believing," and I sprained my ankle, and I limped for the rest of the summer. And we and tried then to. You had to explain why. We we just we ripped up fabric and we tied it to sticks we found in the woods. <laughs> and we the things we do as children. And it was like, haha, we're in on the joke. But it was like, I just wanted to dance to this song my entire life. I wanted people to have to watch me dance to the song because I remember hearing "Don't Stop Believing" for the first time and said, "Why don't all songs sound like this?" Oh my god. Anyway, I'm really glad I told you I like your shirt. Yeah, you, yeah, tri- you triggered some good things. <laughs> Bring us home, Griffin. Right, Jack with Griffin and David. Right, Jack with Griffin and David.
what to say or to expect All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check Memory can change the shape of a room. It can change the color of a car. Memories can be distorted. They're just interpretation. They're not a record, and they're irrelevant if you have the podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Griffin, and welcome to Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm not, being, I'm not part of this bit. That's it, right? We're done. No, you got to intro the show. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm David Sims. This is Blank Check. Yeah, there you go. Griffin and David. We're hashtag the two friends. <laughs> right. All right. I'm here too, producer Ben. We're done. Uh, Today we're talking about the movie Memento. Done. Yeah. I was confused by it. (laughs) Well, Ben, that's because you're bleeding. Oh, shit. Yeah, David, push your head into a bathroom mirror. Oh, yeah. It was David. Remember, look at your tattoo. It was David. It was. It says David on my arm. Ben, you actually have tattoos, don't you? Do you have any tattoos? No, Ben actually looked at his arm just in case. (laughs) He picked the wrong arm. Oh, yeah, that's really. Oh, I do have tattoos. (laughs) All right, it's over. Okay, bye.